Welcome everyone to episode 314 of Fergon Freak. My name's the Glorious League Freak, and today we have a special guest. It's Michael Michal Wood, who wrote an article this week on Forbes about State of Origin, and it got a lot of traction, and I thought it would be cool to get him on and talk about it. Um, how are you, mate? I'm good, I'm good. I'm uh, Yeah, it's weird for me because it's gone massive this week, even though I wrote it last week, and I put that down to one R Crow of... Uh, of Lindsay lived Nana Glenna somewhere on the central north coast, but he basically, uh, I wrote it last week, a couple of people commented on it, and then Russell Crowe retweeted it. So it went absolutely tonto this week. He wondered Russell, why it turned up in your feed. I saw Russell Crowe tweeted it, and it was like, it just seems super random, because I don't follow him, but it seems like he just sort of sticks to South stuff. And uh, then I saw he'd retweeted it, and there was another follower um of of the article that retweeted it and that's how i saw it and i'd read through it and i was like oh there's some interesting stuff in here and i was like i should get this dude on because i always like different perspectives on the game and you know just something different from the mainstream because this week is going to be we know what's going to happen this week queensland are going to get a, a stomach bug in the next 48 hours you know his state of origin going soft you know, just all the same crap that we normally see. And it was cool to read something different. So that's why I thought I'd have you on. Well, that's what I try and do. Like the brand I use, you have to have your own brand in the world of journalism these days. And uh, the hashtag NRL Outsider is the brand that I use because I only just moved to Australia and you know, I've written about rugby league for years, years and years and years, 15 or something like that, mostly some very little fanfare. And uh, I decided to like, because I come from a background which is sort of half journalism and half marketing to try and come at various aspects of rugby culture or sort of the NRL business angle, maybe, mm-hmm. and come at it from a different angle and say, well, I'm not from here. And I'm just going, well, why is this? Why is this? Why is this? Because a lot of it to me doesn't make sense in that, obviously, the way that NRL media works is intensely tabloid and no one ever sort of really questions it, or very few people question it. So with an honourable exception to independent media, which I feel like is quite good here, but like the mainstream media is absolute trash like it's unwatchable most of the time so yeah just try and kick up a few debates and just see if people see what people's response are sometimes i'm talking chat sometimes i seem to get it quite right now with your article and we had a bit of a talk before we started recording and i was saying if nrl 360 was gonna uh do this interview with you they'd say so you wrote an article this week saying state of origin's terrible for the sport explain yourself um, and the way to do it is to say, can you give a summary of basically what you wrote in your article this week? Because, yeah, you had a lot of different elements involved in it. And because, as you say, you're not from like an Australian background, your perspective on it is very different. So what was your general uh, thoughts in that article? The general gist of it was that Australian Rugby League is held back by this obsession with origin. And it sort of plays in, in, in two ways. So way one is that Origin is the major cut through across the Australian sports market. And so obviously there is a huge build up to that because it's the only time when, you know, the whatever 50, 51 to 49 split in favour of AFL is, in, in, you know, is put aside for a weekend because they don't have an equivalent product, um, which means that it obviously commands quite a large media following but the media following is kind of the sort of it's the way that rugby league is seen by everybody else and then we sort of as as, as rugby league people sort of act up to it you know it's the they don't care about 
skill or the tactics. They care about the bit and they care about that kind of aspect of it, which to me is just, you know, it, it confirms that in the eyes of the general sporting public, rugby league isn't a game to be taken seriously on a tactical level. Like it's not for thinking people, which is just inherent class prejudice, which anybody from the UK, because obviously we're obsessed with the class, especially rugby league people, like we see in a way that Australians just sort of think they exist in a classless society or a lot of, certainly that seems to be a lot of Australians don't notice and it, it's it's baffling to me because that's writ large across origin like it's an acceptable thing because they bash each other and we all get to wallow in it in a way that like it's obviously the most tactically astute form for a league as well but you almost never hear that talk about like that's not going to lead on anybody's seven news um and then there's the other aspect of it which is that it's it's now so all-encompassing that it's above international rugby league and international rugby league like if we think of the point of origin originally was to try and be a trial for the Australian team. And in a modern NRL environment where the majority of players qualified to play for somebody else and indeed likely will play for somebody else in the 2021 World Cup, we have completely sidelined all the people who don't conform to the Anglo-centric kind of original state of origin concept. So you look at, you know, all the Kiwi players, all the Tongan players, Samoan players, Fijian players, PNG players, English players even, aren't going to get this mid-season test because there isn't political will to make it happen, um, which is long, very boring and complicated. We don't need to go into here, but it's not going to happen because it all gets left in this wake of origin to the point where origin sort of supersedes both the international game and, for a large extent, the NRL, because the NRL seems to be, for three weeks, nobody cares about it. All they talk about is origin, even though there's NRL games still going on, which kind of subverts and destroys its own competition. And also because it seems like the previous three weeks to Origin, if you read the sort of mainstream media, are just like a, you know, like a trial game for Origin, as if they weren't competition games that mattered. Everybody talks about, oh, this guy's suspended, this guy's injured for Origin, as if it wasn't, you know, didn't we already have a competition that was actually meant to be the fucking point? Now, with the, like, and I, I've heard parts of these arguments before over the years, um, and a, a lot of them do come from, people that are from overseas and ha- or have an overseas perspective. And I always find it interesting. And, like, my counter to some of that is that because State of Origin has been so successful and, you know, it it generates so much money and it's, like, overall, it's there's no doubt it's a positive thing for rugby league. Like, if you could, you know, click your fingers and remove State of Origin's influence on rugby league over its entire history. Rugby league would be less lesser for it, not only in Australia, but I think overseas, because State of Origin does garner a lot of interest from overseas, even if it's just people that say, look, if you want to get an introduction to what rugby league is like, watch State of Origin game. Or you see a lot of, um, I actually see a lot of rugby union players from overseas they don't care about rugby league, but they'll watch State of Origin games. So it's, it is definitely something that uh, gets attention for the sport, and it's something that's been wildly successful. And I, I find it hard to think that that's a bad thing for the sport. And I did look, like, I see some of your points of view in terms of the focus on the international game and all that sort of stuff, but I feel as though if... Other international teams, like say if New Zealand had a State of Origin series of its own 
and it obviously wouldn't be state of origin but if they had some sort of um you know possibles versus probables game or you could call it whatever you want and it had the same sort of success as state of origin did i think the game would be better for it i just tend to think that australia found the right mix for something and it works and it generates heaps of money heaps of interest the games are, are generally great and everyone kind of looks at them and says wow that that is kind of the pinnacle of how rugby league should be played as you say in terms of the technical side of the game and i find it hard to look at all that and say it's a there are that it's a negative for the sport but i don't think that's what you're saying is it you're just saying there are aspects of it that aren't great for the sport overall yeah i'm, I'm certainly not saying origin is is bad like mm. definitely not and in fact you can go back scroll down on my forwards page you can see an article i wrote at the start of the last origin basically touting how great it was and how everybody should go and watch it Mm. Um, you know, as, as I've used the line, it's the only all-star game that matters. Like every all, every other all-star game and every other sport is a piss take. Mm-hmm. Whereas the original origin is essentially an NRL all-star game that matters, but they actually want to win and care. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be great. No, a lot of people sort of got onto me and said, well, you know, everybody else should have an origin game. So they should, if you could, if you had say two, two teams in New Zealand, you had enough players to play South Island being North Island, that would be great. I think when they, in the early 2000s, when we had a Lancashire v Yorkshire game, they abandoned it after, I think, two seasons. And you were like, no, like, Origin was also shit for years until it wasn't. You've got to stick with concepts. Like, a rugby league is terrible, especially in the UK. Stick, sticking with a concept is not something that they do. It has to work now or it doesn't work. And if you think if they'd stuck at that and you now had, you know, 15 years worth of history behind it, it would become a thing in the same way they did with the Magic Weekend, for example, where they just stuck at it and now it's a thing. Um... So, yeah, I agree on that level that like it would be better if there was more equivalent elite competitions that you could sell as tentpole kind of events in your season. Like that should be something that they work towards. But I feel like the aspect in the NRL that makes that makes Origin less positive for the game, sort of the negative aspect of it, is more that it, it's inherently parochial mm-hmm. and it's inherently something that the NRL will prioritise above, say, playing other countries at rugby league. Like they put out this week fucking kills me absolutely shits me it appears they put out a thing of like the you know the on-form kangaroos team Ugh. you're like it's like a oh, theoretical no. kangaroos team it's like just fucking play people like the kangaroos are a team you could play yeah. them you yeah. have two what well, four games since 2017 they've played so it's like you know they they have made that product that they have better than the kangaroos and the kangaroos should be the all blacks of rugby league they should be like the the you know the face of rugby league in the eyes of the world in the way that the all blacks are in rugby union but the NRL is per- inherently parochial, like it's inherently small time. And it thinks that Australia is the only thing that matters, which, you know, it's a members organization made up of, made up of rugby league clubs in Australia. So that's perfectly fine. But they don't have a whole game approach to anything in a way that I think there isn't at least an inclination towards Super League that they need to make, say, France better. And they need to make Scotland, Ireland and Wales mean something. And, you know, stuff like that, which the NRL absolutely doesn't care what happens outside of its league's clubs. Like that's, and I say that both in terms of the clubs are in its league and the fact that it's fully, fully funded by poker machines. Like it's, you know, if you go back and listen to the Rugby League Digest podcast of the Super League War and say like, have these people changed? I don't think they have. Like I don't think they have at all. Um, and it's, it's just symptomatic of that. Like they don't really 
care if anybody else plays rugby league outside of the 16 clubs who are in the NRL and the people who feed into that, which Origin is the peak of that. Like Origin, you should be an elite thing in which they have, it exists as a trial for the Australian team. And you pick an Australian team based on performances in the NRL and particularly performances in Origin. And if they did that, they would probably continue smashing everybody. But it becomes this like superlative thing of which, you know, it's like having your grand final in the middle of the season. Like it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. They should use it as a tempo and say, look, you have the pre-origin period and the post-origin period. So you pre-origin leads up to origin. After origin, you lead into the grand final. And at the end of that, you've got this month of international competition, which is actually, you know, a completely dead time for Australian TV. There's no AFL before cricket the only thing that's happening is the early rounds of the a-league which is you know crap at the best of times um so that should be what they lead towards and that would create them an extra month's worth of content it would make origin matter even more in my in my opinion because it would be like an actual thing with a trial where winning the competition itself is great but then it also feeds into this further competition which you have at the end of the year with all the other players from the league you know from New Zealand and Tonga and, and Samoa etc so yeah, that's that's more what I was saying is that it should be it should be an elite product with an even more elite product above it. But because of the way that it is pervasive in rugby league society and actually just in the wider Australian media, that's the problem with it. It needs it, it it's seen as the be all and end all, which it really shouldn't be. Do you think though that like and I agree. You're an elephant in the room behind you. <laughs> no, you know what it was? It was somebody with a shitbox car driving down the road. I, I keep waiting for it to drop its guts in the middle of the road uh, so I can go out and see if they need help and then go straight back in the house. Um, the the way the origin kind of messes up the NRL season, and we managed to see it last year with the COVID break and we had origin at the end of the year, and it was different. I don't think it was... I think Origin suffered from being at the end of the year, but the NRL season was definitely better for playing straight through. There's no doubt about that. And I think there's been calls for a very long time to have, um, you know, on Origin weekends or Origin rounds, however you want to do it, open up these windows for international games to be played. And I tend to think that's the way they were going towards until COVID messed things up a little bit and everything become a little bit more difficult to sort of pull together. It's it's pretty easy to pull together a State of Origin series where there's a, a few more moving parts that they've got to deal with, especially with overseas organisations and things like that, to get internationals played. And, and even with the things like um, international travel is a bit of a problem and things like that for now. And for the, for the majority of international teams that you could play, uh, you know, pr- before an origin game or after an origin game, whatever the case, most of the players are going to be from the NRL, but it's those one or two or three players that you might bring in from overseas that make it a real issue. And then the coaches and then the coaching staff, the support staff and things like that. And it's just easier to put a state of origin series on. Um, But I, I don't think there's any doubt that we need you know, they should be rep weekends. It should be, you know, New Zealand plays Tonga on Friday night, Samoa plays Fiji Saturday night, and New South Wales plays Queensland on Sunday night, you know, and and that's just because of the TV audience. I'm sure that's what um, the broadcasters would want. But I think in terms of playing State of Origin, because we've had 
times where we've played State of Origin series and then a couple of weeks later we've played a test against New Zealand. And we had a problem that the State of Origin players had come out of the Origin series and they were absolutely primed, like they were eating raw meat after the series was done. They'd come up against New Zealand and absolutely thrash them. And the New Zealand Rugby League got to a point where they're like, hey, this isn't really doing anything for us because we're coming together in the days leading up to a test match. We're doing our best and we're kind of running into a group of players that have had, you know, this is going to be a month of them either being together for the most part or just being part of an environment where you come together you gel quickly as a team and you know that's one of the great things that state of origin has done for australian rugby league is that our elite players they are so used to coming together over the course of seven to ten days gelling as a team getting into that routine of working towards putting on a good performance at the end of the week where a lot of other teams don't have that and we'll come into these games against new zealand and thrashing them so they stopped playing them, unfortunately. Um, and then playing Origin at the end of the series, at the end of the season, I think it's because you've had such a long season and to then put Origin on and then to say after that, like, we want players to then play test matches. It, it's a lot of very intense football very quickly and it turns the season or it, it gets it to being towards it like an 11 month season for the players and i just think it's very difficult for them to to do something like that yeah look the main things that hold this back is player workloads because mm. if you think right if you if you say let's go to a theoretical place here where you play origin of three consecutive weekends and concurrent with that you have a competition with say um new zealand samoa tonga fiji png cook islands i don't know throw somebody else in and then you play, so you might have a Division One, Division Two. So you play New Zealand, Samoa, Tonga, play each other, you know, on consecutive weekends. Then you play Fiji, uh, PNG, and Cook Islands play each other on consecutive weekends. And you know, there could be a division system, whatever. It changes year on year, so everybody doesn't always play the same people. But you know what I mean. This, so, you, so you're basically running three rep rounds in the middle of the year. That that way, you might do what we had, where you play the first section of the NRL in which you've gone then get selection drama. Who's going to pick for Tonga? Who's going to pick for New Zealand? Blah, blah, blah. On top of that, you get a natural break in the middle, three weeks, and then you go back to the NRL. And then at the end of that, obviously, you, know, you get the GB, you could have a kangaroo tour, basketball shield, World Cup, whatever it is that you have, you know, an exact existing international calendar. Then you get into the issue of, okay, well, realistically speaking, how many of the NRL is going to get picked for, you've then got, what, six rep teams. Well, actually, eight, including New South Wales and Queensland. So that's probably going to be a fair chunk of your of your rep. Then you might end well. What if we play? End up playing like you know who gets picked twenties origin? Who gets picked for whatever? So you're looking at a lot of the players playing more football than they are currently. So I can see why that comes into it, and you say, well, actually, these players' registrations are owned by their clubs. They're paid largely by their clubs. So if I own Penrith Panthers and suddenly I've got everyone in my top 17 is playing for somebody else other than the Penrith Panthers with the potential to get injured, mm-hmm. I can see why that's a thing, right? That's a problem. You then come into the next level of the problem, which is, well, actually, who does this game exist for? Does this game exist for the Penrith Panthers to win something or does it exist for rugby league to be popular? Mm-hmm. 
And that's when you've got, that's when you look at the ARL commission, for example, because where you, what you start dealing with then with the test in the arena is International Rugby League, which has the Asia Pacific Confederation and all that. They actually are the ones who have to organize these games. And this is why it's, when I say that the NRL doesn't have interest in putting on, say, the Pacific test, which they could do, it's actually the APAC um, Confederation whose job it is to do that and they couldn't make it profitable. So it's a little bit different now. You might say it's in the interest of the NRL as a brand to have their elite players playing more competition because that adds to the NRL in general. I mean, that's a whole separate thing and expect columns on that in the near future when I can get someone on the phone about it. Um, but yeah, so how do you get around that? Well, I mean, one of the ways you can get, away, get around it is to say that actually the best thing for all of us collectively across 16 clubs in the NRL, plus however many people in the feeder system, New South Wales, Cup, Queensland, Cup, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is that the international game is better. So we can make that a priority. You, as NRL clubs, you can say at the moment, this is the collective, you know, think of it as like the GDP of the NRL, right? This is the collective amount of money that goes through our system that could be higher if we had, you know, if we could sell a, te- a television contract for, you know, the Pacific Test and we could sell a television contract for the Kangaroos, blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, that would make it make sense for us to have a better selling product in general. Whereas at the moment, they are only interested in the product that sells to, what, 12 million people? To the, you know, Foxtel and Channel 9 kind of audience, which is never touched by the higher, you know you've inherently limited your game to people who live in two states of Australia. And so that's one side of it. Whereas you say, well, actually, if we just expanded the audience in general that went wider than Australia, that went more money in New Zealand, new television contracts that went into international football, for example, that would make more money than playing more games. And you might go into a system there where you say, well, actually, we end up only playing, we play two games less in the regular season because that money is taken up by international football which introduces more money to the game from out with what already exists. I mean, this is the argument we have in Super League all the time. Super League plays too many games because various club members don't, various member clubs, sorry, don't quite understand that it's on their job. You know, they only get the money that comes in from games or they don't want to split the league in other two ways or whatever, stupid stuff like that. And it's that kind of thinking that inherently they only want the money that's in front of them now and they don't think of how they can make money in the future because if you imagine there is currently, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but say, let's say 200 million is the value of the NRL. I think it's more than that. I've written it down somewhere. They say, well, actually, this could be 400 million if we had a bigger product to sell to the world. Like, what is, think of how much money the Premier League soccer makes, right? If it was just people in the UK. Actually, they make more, more money of the international rights. Like, of selling the game to be watched by people in Malaysia and China and at the risk of sounding like John Rebo here. You know, there could be an audience elsewhere that would tune in to watch, you know, Tonga against Australia against New Zealand in the Oceania Cup that doesn't really care about watching Penrith against St. George. So, but if you try and sell that to somebody, you know, I don't know why I'm picking on Penrith. <laughs> Penrith are great. But, you know, you try and sell that to the people who own a AN NRL club, that's not really in their interest because their interest is to look after their club, yeah. which is fine. Like, that's why it's a members organization. And this is where you get the tension between the commission which is exist theoretically for the good of rugby league in general in Australia and the clubs. So ultimately, the long-term goal of it should be to introduce more international football and less club football because club football is done. Like club football has been existed for 100 and, what, 110, 113 years in Australia. 
and isn't going anywhere. It's a product that exists that everybody understands. And they have this bigger product with a bigger market, potentially more people giving more money and more TV contracts, but they don't currently try and get it because it's too difficult because the money is, that's in front of them is in front of them. And if you said to, you know, Channel 9, okay, we're going to give you two less rounds of a regular season because we don't think it's, you know, player workload, but at the end of it, we'll give you another month of, you know, or another month in the middle of rep content of end of the season content and we'll sell that to you as a different package that's more viewers for them that's a more interesting product for them and they just really have to somebody has to will has to have the will to put this forward as an idea and try and sell the people who are who are likely to lose what is immediately in their pockets right now to say that in five years or ten years you'll have much more in your pockets across the league see i like i understand and you and me like and I know I've said this before, the people that write independently in rugby league, we agree on 90 to 95% of things completely, right? And I think if I said to you, like, my ideal world, we play 20 NRL rounds, we have rep rounds in the middle of the season, and then afterwards we have a big rep calendar of international games. Like, that's my ideal calendar. But the problem that you run into and, and I see two problems. First of all, the money that you can get with playing NRL games from broadcasters in Australia, and I look look at it from the, say, the Australian Rugby League's point of view, the, the amount of money that they get from Origin and playing, say, 25 rounds of NRL football is absolutely immense and, like, you combine all of the rest of the money made in rugby league across the world against it, it's not even, it doesn't even make up, you know, a shred of that amount, you know. And so you've got this giant money-making machine that has worked for a, a fairly long time for Australian rugby league. And, you know, why would Australian rugby league mess with that at the moment? But then I also look at, other international governing bodies and the international rugby league itself. And, you know, my thought process is why aren't they doing things to improve themselves? Like, why aren't they looking at what Australia's done? And it, this isn't, hasn't been an overnight success in Australia. Like, when the first state of origin game was put on, they didn't know if it was going to work. And it just happened to work pretty much immediately, which was lucky for them. Um, but they tried different things. And, you know, the Australian Rugby League has pushed for expansion from a Sydney-based competition to we brought in a team from Canberra, teams from team from Wollongong, um, and, and kept expanding to the point where now we're just used to having a team from Melbourne and a team from Townsville. We, you know, they expanded the competition, so we had a team from New Zealand because they knew that, it would not only be good for the game overall, but it would be good for uh, the Australian competition to have a, a local relevant content for broadcasters in New Zealand that they could pay for. And I just don't see the same sort of thing from, from say, for instance, from Super League or from the Rugby Football League, where, as you say, they tried the, the War of the Roses match and, you know, the crowds were poor and it really didn't garner the same interest. And I think it's fair to say, like, they scrapped it pretty quickly and replaced it with that ridiculous, 
games between Great Britain and a made-up, what did they call Exiles team? Exiles which was, team, yeah. My goodness, that was so stupid. But And they're doing it again this year. I think they've changed the name of the team. I can't remember what they've called it. Um, but once again, it's all the old imports playing against the England team this time around. And I, I just, I think that instead of looking at the negatives that come out of the Australian system, because no, no sporting systems are perfect. There's no doubt about that. But it feels like at sometimes other parts of the rugby league playing world sort of sit back and say, well, state of origin's too big. And it's not that they sh- they should be focusing on international rugby league, and the NRL runs for too long, and you kind of turn around and say, well, "What have you been doing all this time? Why are you been complaining?" Like I look at New Zealand rugby league as a great example. I wish I had a dollar for every time they talked about starting some sort of New Zealand Origin series, and did nothing at all about it, and said, "Well, we can't do it. It's too difficult." You know, we've it's t- hard to talk with the NRL clubs about it and things like that. And it's like, yeah, but you've, you've done nothing, you know, and, well, and that's the, what frustrates the, me. There's two points there, right? So for, for one, the International Rugby League is an international federation that is trying to align itself the way that international federations are running basically every other sport, right? Yeah. yeah. So you look at how, say, FIFA is run, which is probably the most successful of them in the world, um, or the IOC, like they have to have an ex- existing structure with confederations in, in regions, so APAC or Europe or whatever, and then leagues underneath that. And ultimately, what they're doing at the moment is trying to set up a system that exists, whereas Australia is saying, well, actually, we have got our own system and we don't really care about you. Now, that existed in FIFA for 50 years. England just didn't take part in it. They didn't play in the World Cup until 1950 because they just didn't fancy it. They just thought, well, what can these people teach us about anything? So it's not unheard of. Like, these things exist. And what the Rugby League and National Federation are doing, they're still called, called the National Rugby League now, but I still, in my head, they're still the RLIF. Yeah, but they're saying, right, look, we, we have this system. It exists. And it is the way that sports are organized across the world and will be the way that Rugby League is organized, which is broadly a good thing, right? Because if you get into a situation where they want, say, nines to be in the Olympics or in the Commonwealth Games or whatever, this is a system they have to have. You can't just make it up on the fly based around bilateral theories and stuff like that, which is what it was done in the past, which is mm-hmm. why there was never an existing international structure which could sell TV rights over a long period. Like that, This is ultimately how it has to be in the future. And if Australia doesn't want to get on board with that, then it's Australia's problem because Australia... It, it will inherently be a parochial game for two states mm-hmm. in Australia as long as Australia keeps that mentality. And look, so, I, and I think that there was a really good opportunity to start this process recently when the NRL brought in all of these stupid new rules last year, and they basically said, you know, these are these are the rules we want to have. I felt like the International Rugby League should have said, no, they're not rugby league rules. I'm sorry, we're not using them in the World Cup. Uh, we we suggest no one adopts them. And I think that would have been well, a really good I, first I mean, step, I, but instead they rolled over and did what the NRL did. I, I think they watched it when there was when there was no other rugby league in the world, and they watched the NRL. And I, I mean, we can it's a different conversation, but like they looked at the six again and went, "This is a better product." Like they, I understand why they did that, and they probably agreed. The reason they did it is because they agreed with it largely. And you look at the way the NRL has now gone back to one ref over two, which the which you could say 
yeah, the Rugby League and National Federation, basically, that they were like, no, this is going to stay at one referee. Mm. And everyone in Australia now agrees with them. It took them a while, but they agree with them now. I don't know anybody saying, let's bring back two refs. I am. Like, I, I, me and Andrew have said Oh, really? That. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Well, now I know somebody. But most people, you know, like, it's not an issue, really, in the, in the, in the world as I see it. Anyway, we're getting distracted. But so the other point I wanted to bring up in terms of there's the point one about the structure of International Rugby League and how it should exist which I think the, the International Rugby League governing body are correct on, and Australia really just has to get on board with it, mm-hmm. whether they will or not, because that will involve them giving away power, which they currently have. But, yeah. you know, if they don't do that, you're in a situation where there's the All Blacks and then there's Rugby Union, if you get, with it, if you get the analogy. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Where which is what we are now, where the, the Kangaroos don't play any Rugby League, like, or very rarely. Um, so that's point one. Point two in terms of what, international rugby league can do to make this viable um if you scroll down my forbes you'll find a coherent i think argument for why private equity should come into international rugby league because then it's got no place in rugby league if it's coherent i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) well yeah it makes sense but yeah they so to me that is the way that lots of sports are going and the way that i mean maybe this is because i write for forbes but like this is the the way that sports are going and the way that actually rugby league could move forward and basically make it financially worthwhile for the Gold Coast Titans, et cetera, to give up their players was this, if private equity came in, bought a stake in international rugby league and said, actually, we're going to make this financially viable because we think it's a currently an untapped market and that it will, you know, we will lift all boats, right? If you imagine that the amount of money it would cost to buy a stake in a meaningful stake in national rugby league is not very much, but it would be enough money to make the NRL players make it worth the players worthwhile, mm-hmm. and it would be enough to make the NRL, the league, and the Australian Rugby League Commission worthwhile. Because ultimately, like it's a small amount of money. You look at comparable amounts of money in other sports, like what CVC, the private equity company, put into rugby union, and the difference is. If you look at where private equity has had like a really big impact on sport in Formula One and in rugby union, but specifically, it's by doing more of the same. So they just play more internationals, more whatever, more races in Formula One. But crucially in rugby league, there aren't enough games. So you could make more content and sell that content for a profit because currently there is not enough international rugby league content and not as much as there should be. So I can see it as a, you know, that, that outside money making the argument because at the moment it's not financially worthwhile for the majority of NRL clubs to release their players to play in a New Zealand origin or to play in a, you know, Tonga against Samoa game. It doesn't make any sense to them. But if somebody came in with outside money and said, this is a product which is currently underfunded, which could make us decent returns on investment, and International Rugby League would then say, well, actually, our main problem is that we can't convince the NRL to give up players because it's not financially in their benefit to. If you give us that money, we'll give you a cut of the... TV deal and the rising tide would lift all boats. So I can see that happening. I mean, actually, you know, I wrote this out in an article in October, I think, or September last year, um, from, you know, in a very sort of inside baseball sports business kind of way, but you can go and dig it out. I'm sure I can post it again during Origin when people would like to see how this could be funded. But that was just a basic funding model that I came up with. Mm-hmm. And I knew at the time the NRL had spoken to private equity, Super League had spoken to private equity, and I sort of made the argument, actually, Putting more private equity into the NRL is likely to. What's the dog? He agrees. Be <laughs> um, quiet. Um, that's more likely to end up with 
end up with, you know, more Super League games or, you know, more NRL games. It's not mm. what we need. We need less of that and we need more international games. So if they were to, say, put their money in the National Rugby League, if somebody could make that argument and say, look, here is a currently undervalued product, which for not a lot of money in, you know, in the world of private equity, not a lot of money, you can make very, very valuable to the point where you would, you know, it would be mutually beneficial for rugby league and for private equity. Now, obviously, there's a cultural problem there. And you can go and read my uh, my article about it. But yeah, I mean, that to me, that's, that is the most obvious answer. There's lots of other answers, but lots of, you know, I don't think the NRL is suddenly, or the NRL clubs are, suddenly, are certainly going to have a great change of heart where they decide to give up three games a season, three games a season's worth of income at this stage to, you know, to, to let Tonga play Samoa. But that's the argument that could be made because they will actually, this structure that you currently have could be changed if somebody else was paying for it and that somebody yeah. else is likely to be private equity and look that's that's where my my thoughts turn to uh everyone else needs to pull their act together because i i think that you know australian rugby league and it's at times it has had to look inward because there wasn't strength internationally in the game and, you know, other times they have tried to reach out and start something and get something going. And they've been let down by either, you know, opponents that they've come up against just not turning up time and time again. And there's only so many times you can kind of hit your head against the brick wall. Um, or, you, you know, just being let down in different ways. Um, and And I really do. And I've written articles about this for many, many years about, you know, and I've mainly said it about Australia and England, funnily enough, where if they don't want to participate in international rugby league, that's fine. Everyone should just isolate them and see how long it takes before they turn up and say, you know what, it'd be nice if we could join the party. Um, That's what I think they should do to Australia. Like, I genuinely think they should do that. We should make them qualify. Make them qualify for the World Cup. Go and play... Cook Islands, like force it and say, well, you're not going to, you don't get the money, you don't get to participate unless you go and play qualifiers. Yeah, like, and look, I would do the same thing with England. Qualify for now. Yeah, yeah, and England would do it. But England yeah. would go and play, they'd go and put 70, you know, 70 points on Serbia, they'd do it. Yeah, I agree. And and it's uh, because, and this look, this goes back to the very first World Cup when uh, France said, we'd love to have a World Cup in Australia. And England were like, ah, oh, no, nah, not really. And they said, what if we set it up and we run it and we do everything? And they were like, oh, no, all right, we'll turn up. And it ended up being a massive, massive success. And I, th- I think that's the way to go for international rugby league. And that's why I think it's important to have a, you know, Pacific series where you've got um, Samoa and Fiji and Tonga and New Zealand and the Cook Islands playing each other at the end of every year. And if Australia's not involved, that's fine, you know, and make it a viable competition. Now, it's it's much more difficult in Europe because you've got England and then you've got France and then you've got quite a large drop-off. And England, it's crazy to me. England refuses to play Scotland and Wales, who... Like, they could play tomorrow if they had to play a series against. They don't want to play Ireland. And to a certain extent, I can get that because the Irish Rugby League team, if you actually pick an actual Irish Rugby League team, 
it's mostly park footballers. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. They won't go across the ditch to play France, you know, unless they're kicking and screaming to play them, which I also find crazy. And then the drop-off to the next tier of nations, it's, once again, it's, it's sort of the park footballer level, which, once again, it's fine. I'm not saying anything bad against those players. But... It, it, there's just less viable opponents in Europe. So it's very hard to have a, a a proper European competition, whereas it's a lot easier in the Pacific nations where, you know, you've got superstars playing in, in every sig- single nation these days. It's great. Um, but yeah, this I, is I, what happens. This has happened for years. If you look at like, I mean, obviously I, I come from Europe, so I'm engaged in football and cricket and other sports as well in a in sort of a deeper way and this has happened like if you in football they have like an organized international window window right and if you refuse to release your players then they'll ban them they'll say yeah. like oh, you can't you can't say that like, i'm injured i can't play for finland so you know but then turn out in your next game for you know man united or whoever like there are rules about this and they should if england said right we're going to play a international round the same weekend as you know this weekend, right? And actually, George Williams, oh, not George Williams, no, you know, Josh Hudson, Elliot Whitehead, Ryan Sutton, you're on a plane and you're, forget COVID, you're on a plane and you're playing for England because we've called you up. And do you know what, Michael Morgan, you're playing for Ireland because we've called you up. And they said, okay, well, and then you would have to go through, you know, all the way up probably to the Court of Arbitration for Sport to say like, well, actually, who runs this game? And the NRL would have to be would for, would be forced to say, like, we either are part of this or we're not part of this. Yeah. And ultimately, in any court, the International Rugby League, which is the recognised governing body of rugby league, would win that. Now, they obviously don't want to do that because the NRL is their main partner. Yeah. And they, they're not going to say the place where 80% of their best talent plays is going to be, you know, an enemy. So they have to talk this through and make something which is mutually acceptable for all parties. And I would hope like, for me, the first thing that they have to do is to set a calendar and stick to it, which they've never been able to do in my lifetime, certainly. Oh, it's ridiculous. Stay, like, There's been times where they've said, we're going to come out with an international calendar, and you've been like, finally. And they say, okay, this is what Australia and England's doing. And you're like, what? <laughs> Where's the rest of it? But that's, look, look, they could now say, right, we're going to have a World Cup this year. We're going to play. Yeah, and you can manage workloads like this as well. So you can say, right, England are going to play this, you know, there'll be four seasons. Season one will be a World Cup. Season five will be a World Cup, right? And then the other ones in between that, you might have one year you play Australia against England, you know, a Lions Cup. Then you've got Basketball Shield, New Zealand comes to England. Then after that, you might have an Oceania Cup where you play all of the Oceania nations play in Oceania and England plays the European Cup. And then you do the next time, okay, World Cup, then we're going to have a kangaroo tour. We're going to have England's going to go to New Zealand on a Lions tour. So you've always got that, you know, then you've got like the Lions is different to England. It tours. You've mm. got the kangaroos. You've got all of, it's not very difficult to get it on a piece of paper and work out how all this takes place. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not that complicated to work out. The difference then is, okay, so if you have that, you say this is what's going to happen and the NRL basically have to get with the program. This is because Ultimately, the structural thing, which is what the International Rugby League have been trying to do over the last couple of years, and I think now have, have basically sorted, is like this is how the hierarchy works, and the NRL or the Australian Rugby League Commission 
is one part of that. So they have to bilaterally deal with all the other ones. And that includes Vanuatu, and, um, you know, the Cook Islands, whatever, on an equal level, because that's how FIFA works. That's how the International Cricket Council works. Like, this is how international sport works. It's been accepted yeah. by every other country. Yeah. That's so, why I don't like they, the tiered system. I, when they started coming out and saying, oh, we've got these different tiers for international teams and, and international nations, and I, I was disgusted by on an organize, On an organisational level, that's not really what matters. What matters, that's more to do with eligibility, as I understand it, in terms of, like, you don't want to be to have to say to Josh Papali, like, you have to pick when you're 17 between Australia and Samoa, right? Because that ultimately is going to cleave off a lot of your talent into a place where they're not getting picked for Australia but can't play for Samoa and I understand completely and actually one of the best things that the National Rugby League has done ahead of almost any sport and we can kind of come back to origin on this as well because we've we've um, strayed massively from it um, that's all right that's what we do on this podcast we start off talking yeah. about thing, end up on a different road because we're just talking so, rugby league that's the cool thing yeah, yeah. So the two points here, right? Point one is that the international eligibility accepts that in, in 2021, many people have got multiple identities, especially in Australia and the UK, which are the main two powerhouses of the game. Like, I'm an Irish Briton. You know, my mum's Irish, my dad's English. So if it was up to me, I might play for England at cricket, but Ireland at football. And that exists, like, if you look at in the, I think in the England World Cup squad from 2018, soccer World Cup, I think only four players were not qualified to play for somebody else. Like everybody could have played for Jamaica or Ireland or Wales or Scotland, whatever. So rugby league is the first sport to actually accept that that is the majority of the people who play their sport. Like everybody who lived in Sydney, even more than Sydney than pretty much anywhere else, is from somewhere else. Like we've all got a, a background, you know. And rugby league strength is that it's now what sixty percent non-white. Like I put on Twitter this week that I went to the AFL on Sunday and they had their indigenous round. And I think there's only two indigenous players playing I was yeah. like yeah of course in the NRL every round is indigenous round like yeah. because that's because we actually have like a really positive story there about diversity so that's point one is like that it's eligibility stuff is really good and that's why you have a good time now, because half of those players would have had to declare for New Zealand permanently 10 years ago that's why you have this vibrant World Cup and ultimately nobody cares that most of the Lebanese players have got Western Sydney accents, like they don't actually care, and the people who are playing certainly don't care. Like they want to play think, for Lebanon. Do you think that's the case though? Because I think that when when there's a World Cup on and you see somebody that's from Sydney, like uh, James Tedesco is a really good example when he was running out for um, Italy, right? And yes, it's good to have a player of his talent play for Italy, but. I've always felt like it, you're better off having a, somebody that's actually Italian playing for Italy, right? And, and I'm not a big believer on, in this thing of, well, they pass on their experience. I believe experience is the best experience. But I think that it does hurt the game when you put on a game and you say, okay, say Italy's playing England in the, the warm-up to that World Cup. And I bring that up because England lost. But um, And then you you're like, What's James Tedesco doing? He, he he's from Sydney, you know. And you after the game they go to interview an Italian player, and he sounds like I do. And I a part of me does think that that does hurt the game. It does hurt its 
international credibility and you can say i just disagree i just don't think it does like it does i think it put like it places that i know for example like as an irish person right my dad coached the island team in 1995 the first ever game like and now and when ireland gets the world cup now it appears on rt news in ireland when ireland plays you know ireland beat italy in the last league world cup when it was on rt news in a way that if it was a load of park footballers from ireland playing a load of park footballers from so roosters, it does not make the RTE news. Like so, it it places these things in a national context, and ultimately, most places. I think it's quite an Anglo-centric way of thinking because, like, I know as a member of the Irish diaspora that like people in Ireland accept that lots, lots of Irish people don't live in Ireland. I know that Italians they have a mem- like Italians abroad can vote in Italy because it's accepted, and every other country that feeds into this largely. You think of Lebanon, you think of Greece, you think of like Samoa, Tonga, all of these places are net exporters of people. But like in those places, it matters in a different way. Like Australia is a net importer of people. England is a net importer of people. So there's a different mentality around it that comes from people who are from the place which imports people think, well, this is stupid. But if you're, if you reverse that, like I know from experience, like no, everybody in Ireland knows that we have a huge diaspora and they don't consider them less Irish. Like, when, when Ireland qualified for the Soccer World Cup twice in the early 90s on a team that was predominantly based on people who grew up in England, no one gave a shit. Like, absolutely nobody cared. Like, that's the way it works. Like, that is what the modern world of multiculturalism looks like, and that's the world that we live in. So I don't, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, it's, it's an outdated mentality. I'm not calling you outdated, but I think the mentality of, like, well, his accent is from Sydney. Like, who cares? If you're in Sydney and you think, like, I prefer him to play for Australia, like, fine. But go and ask what James Tedesco thinks of playing for Italy. Like, he probably fucking loved it. He did it. Like, he loved it. And, like, you go and that's why Jason Tomalolo wants to play for Tonga, because he feels like it means something to him. You know, it's not, you know, this is why players should be able to represent their heritage. And actually, rugby league is in a unique position among sports where this is something that we can do. Like, we have that ability to create eight teams that can win the World Cup rather than two, realistically one. I don't know how I feel about it. I really don't. Get with the program. Like, what's, what's happening now? I don't think it's going to change. I don't know. See, the way I see it is that we've in rugby league, we've been at a point where we've had to call on players due to their heritage because uh, teams needed the playing playing numbers. Like there were literally some teams that couldn't have put a team out if they didn't call on a bunch of dudes that grew up in Western Sydney. You know what I mean? Um, Should come and, with me a week, a week on Saturday. A week on Saturday, a week on Sunday, Brazil are going to play the Philippines in Kensington. You should come down and ask some of those blokes how, uh, how Brazilian they feel and how Filipino they feel. But it's, But my point of view is like, I understand that you've got to have a starting point. I really do. But my goal would be that when you name a te- when you name both of those teams in 20 years from now, you get a bunch of dudes that get off the plane and they're all speaking Portuguese. And yeah, they should be. That's that should be the end point. Look, that yeah. is ultimately the goal, right? But if you, I know in Brazil they've got like a. You know, the women's competition is very strong there. And this is when we get to the World Cup in October, we're all going to see like how good are Brazil's women. No one has an idea, but they'll all speak Portuguese. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you do, you do have that as well. And like, obviously, 
if this is still the case in 30 years, something's probably gone wrong. And I know for a fact, like that's exactly why the International Rugby League wants to put in this structure because the World Cup is the funder of International Rugby League, right? as in the organisation, right? Mm-hmm. And that money that International Rugby League gets will filter down to fund stuff in Brazil and in Italy and Serbia. And ultimately, if nobody watches the World Cup because Italy is full of a load of park footballers, you get smashed 100 nil by Australia, like no one's going to watch that. Whereas, so these guys who are playing for their heritage now are indirectly funding the fact that rugby league in Italy, which makes no money. Like I played in the Dutch national competition, right? Mm-hmm. Like nobody in the Netherlands, you know, we actively pay to play. It's literally park football and anyone who turns up is getting a game. But the money that comes to pay for travel, if, if the Netherlands plays, you know, Sweden or somebody, like the IRL will kick in for that. Yeah. If it has the money. So that money comes from having a competitive World Cup because the World Cup pays for that. Like the World Cup, that money from the TV comes down and that funds years. And FIFA works in exactly the same way. Like the reason that you have like Samoa playing Tonga at soccer is because England plays France and everybody watches it. Yeah, yeah. That's how the system is meant to work and how it's an equitable distribution of funds. Um, And I think just to go back to the origin point as well, like this is something which origin is, I feel like, kind of out of step with modern Australia and like it's ultimately a game you look at the state of the demographics in 1980 when it sort of got big compared to in 2021 like it's a game essentially for like Anglo-Celtic people from from Brisbane and Sydney or from you know New South Wales and Queensland but is it though like look at the team look at the team's name this week where you've got Lawai in the team and like I, I just I don't agree with that you've got Payne Haas in the team like I, I think that it's a, I don't think it has anything to do with race. The the New South Wales or Queensland teams, to be honest with you, I just think they pick the best players available for each state. And you know, we've seen this week so many of the players. I mean, look, I'm from Western Sydney, right? And I grew up a, a around Tongan, Samoans, Fijians, like, and it wasn't anything different to me. It's all I ever knew. So I, I, I didn't think anything different of it. You know. And so I always find it strange when people bring up race because it's just something I don't really think about for the most part. And so when I see Luai get named for uh, New South Wales, it's like, well, it's from Mount Druitt, you know, and we're all brilliant people that come from Mount Druitt. And of course, he's going to get named for New South Wales. But I don't think about it along racial lines. Like, it's just you pick your best players and it doesn't really matter what their race is. I think you you misunderstand a little bit what I'm saying. I'm not saying like the players or anything like that. I'm saying like the concept of it in general is one that was devised in a time in which Australia looks very different to what it looks now. Yeah. Whereas what what it looks now would be better represented by having that state of origin, but also having the Pacific Test or whatever alongside it. That's that's more what I'm trying to say. Like if you like Jerome Luai, Jerome Luai should be able to play for Samoa in the World Cup, and he probably will play for Samoa, Samoa in the World Cup and play for New South Wales. Like that makes total sense to me. But I think if you said okay, actually to play for Samoa in the World Cup, you probably should play for Samoa in the Pacific Tests beforehand, and then suddenly you've got you know a you've got more product to sell to people. You've just got more games, more meaningful games as well. And you're saying, like, actually, this is something that we accept that the majority of people who play rugby league at an elite level have got this identity, have got this like double thing going on, and so we should we should play off that. We should do something with it. And state of origin 
like I'm not saying disenfranchise all the people who are you know Anglo Anglo Celtic people who who love it. Like definitely keep Origin, but have it live as a as a wider suite of things. You know, I, I hate the phrase suite of products because I deal with mortgage brokers all day. But like <laughs> a wider a wider a wider suite of products for an international rugby league. But do you know what I mean? That's what I'm more what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's, it's the idea is from an age which doesn't exist anymore in terms of demographics and diversity and things like that. Yeah, but I, I don't even think back then when they when they put together the Origin series, and, and Origins the Origin series for people that don't know, it come out of uh, it was a residency series, and you basically named the best players that played in your state in turn and the, that were eligible for Australia, and of course all the best players generally played in the New South Wales Rugby League competition, and so New South Wales would smash Queensland, and they wanted something different they they were sick of getting smashed and they put forward the origin concept where you basically play from the state you originated from and that's where origin come from i I don't think at that point they were thinking about race whatsoever but i also think that origin has changed in terms of you know the players that we've seen and as you say australia's become more multicultural, I guess, is I don't know if there's a better phrase they use these days. That's the phrase they taught us when I was in school, multiculturalism. But Australia's become more multicultural um, since State of Origin began, and I think that the series has reflected that pretty well, actually. I, and I think that that's part of a an evolution of the series that, and it feels weird to call it that because it's just something that happened, but I think that you know, people from New South Wales, doesn't matter what your background or your race or where your parents were from or even maybe where you were from, you can watch the New South Wales team run out, you know, next Wednesday and say, hey, this team looks like it represents New South Wales to a pretty good degree. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I don't think we're disagreeing here. Like, I, th- I feel like yeah. that part... I don't of- think... Look, I don't think we're disagreeing on most of the things. Like... If in an ideal world, I think we would both say, you know what, what we want to see out of international rugby league is a a bunch of dudes that are from Samoa playing a bunch of dudes that are from France, and we want to see different styles of footy, and we want to see the not only the technical side of it, but the the clash of and and it's you know the clash of cultures in a certain way, and. That's what we want at the end of the day. But how we get there and the steps we're taking to get there, I think that's where a lot of us that uh, talk about International Rugby League, I think that's where we do have some disagreements and they're slight. They're very slight. Yeah, look, I think the the difference is really whether you want to take like a – like the politics of the possible, right? Yeah. And then there's the, I'm going to talk in for pure marketing speaker here, but like, there's the sort of what you would say of in, in marketing is like the good, better, best way of looking at things. Like, and you can talk about what the best is, but then you need to say, okay, what is, what is the, what's achievable? Like, what could we actually do with it? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, obviously, when you write articles like the one that I wrote, like you're, you have to be slightly controversialist. You have to be like, what is the point? What am I trying to say here? Yeah. And so a lot, it's easy to say, well, your origin, it holds everybody back. Like, and that's, the headline that I wrote because I feel like as the, the status quo of it is one that harks back to an era that doesn't exist anymore. And I mean that both in terms of like 
the you know what Sydney looked like in 1980 when it was started, and also like the style of play and like that conforms to the expectations that are given upon rugby league, which I think we are better than. Like I think, and if anybody saw it, to me it looked like naked sort of anti-working class um, prejudice, which comes from outside of rugby league people. Um, it's sort of yeah, just crude stereotyping, which I think there is also a racial element to it as well in terms of like the way that people generally see Islanders from Western Sydney and indigenous people and stuff like that, which I guess me and you are not really part of, but like, you know, the way that that is seen out with the rugby league and out with and maybe even New South Wales and Sydney. Um, so there's that element of it. And then on the other hand, like there is the sort of what do you actually want alongside that, which is a strong international game. And the strong international game doesn't come at the detriment of origin. And ultimately I think a strong international game makes origin better as well. Yep. And 100%. what, and what, and what you try and do, like as a marketing person, what you try and do is like you identify, right? We've got the NRL competition, we've got Origin, we've got internationals, and how do we make little what we used to call? I used to work at Tommy Hilfiger, right, doing marketing, as you can tell. And what we used to call heartbeat moments, like what are the bits that are going to go? Okay, so you've got three rounds of just regular NRL, and then you've got something to look forward to. So is that the Magic Weekend? Okay, and then you get another few rounds where it's like. And you have rivalry round or you have women in league round or you have origin or whatever. And you make these little temples around which you build your season. So you have indigenous round is like something that people get excited for. Oh, I'm going to go this weekend because it's indigenous round. So people who, you know, I went to the Sydney Swans on Sunday, right? The Sydney Swans is like lower North Shore fucking wank. Like <laughs> I went, I went to Port and Carlton because my mate's Carlton. <laughs> and you've got to pick a team. But like you look at that and you go, okay, how many people went to that event because it was indigenous round? Like, I don't know, maybe nobody, but maybe some people, right? So you've got to say, right, okay, we're going to have a season which is lasts from the start of March to the end of November when they play the World Cup final. Like, and how do we keep interest going? How do we have things to build, build through all of that? So you can you've got your origin, you've got the grand final, you've got the finals, you've got blah, 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 but then you need to build other aspects into your season to keep people's interest. Like everything needs to be like, oh yeah, this is going to be indigenous round, this is going to be women in league round, this is going to be rivalry round. And it's just something that you sell to TV companies. Yeah. TV companies then do advertising around, which becomes a thing. Like it is ultimately all in, in the marketing of it. And at the moment, the marketing is so focused around origin, which is like, origin's great. I love origin, but yeah. like it's, it's not, and it shouldn't be the peak. It should be part of a wider thing in which the most sellable product, which in the long term has to be the international game. It has to be like, you know, we have the same thing in England with like the Challenge Cup and the Grand Final, et cetera, as well. Like in, the English game is also has these, has these problems. Mm. And you you have to be like, okay, so ultimately we're going to end with the la the big bang at the end of the season is going to be like the World Cup final, or it's going to be the Ashes, you know, Great Britain against Australia, or it's going to be the Pacific Test, or whatever it is. And then you say, okay, so how do we get to that point? What what markers do we put along the way that keep people interested in that? So we've got obviously the grand final, immovable, going to happen in the same weekend every year. Yeah. Origin, immovable, going to happen the same time every year. Magic, going to happen the same time every year, Easter weekend. Okay, so there's four points. And then what do we do in between that? Okay, we're going to have indigenous round. We're going to have women in league round. And then you just build this in. And like then you've got a consistent package that you can go to Channel 9 and you can go to Foxtel and say, okay, this is what we do going to be the same every year it's going to be you know you want to have a new concept okay great pitch it to us we'll say okay we think there should be a you know queensland v new south wales round where every queensland team plays every new south wales. i don't know i'm just coming up with that in two seconds 
Mm. But you know what I mean? So you can yeah. pitch. They actually, you don't want to do it every round. You want to have just standard rounds. Like most, I always think of it in terms of like, I grew up Catholic, right? And you know, you go through the year as a Catholic, there's like the second Sunday of ordinary time, which is like, which is like just a normal Sunday. And then next week might be mothering Sunday or whatever, you know? Right. And you have these little things that happen throughout the year that are consistent, that change, don't change and that are worth getting, not that you ever get excited about going to mass as a child, <laughs> but you know little things that you can get excited about that are a point of difference you might have two rounds of normal one round of something else and two rounds yeah. of normal one round of something else yeah and you at the moment, like there was a point i think that they settled down from about five years ago in the nrl where it felt like every week was some week for something and i i started to get burnt out from it i was like what week yeah, are we yeah. celebrating this week you know Beanie for brain cancer this week and then women in league next week and then state of mind the week after. Like, that doesn't work. You need to have quiet and loud. Like, go yeah. and listen to a bloody Pixies record. Like, you need to you need to have a standard and then a tempo and then back down and back up and back down because otherwise you you wear people out. But yeah. the way that you can do it, I mean, like, I actually, I've pitched this in Super League to Super League once the, in a marketing perspective of, like, you should have, you know, you've got your Magic Weekend, you've got your Challenge Cup Final, you've got your Grand Final. Okay, so how do you build between them? So it's like, you have a gap there where you might say, we're going to do rivalry round, because we already have rivalry round on Easter, basically, this traditional Good Friday derbies, we can say, and whole mm-hmm. road, whatever. Okay, we're going to do that in reverse. So we'll split that one, and that'll be the run into the final that's going to happen after that, because, you know, it usually happens after four or five rounds, so four or five rounds from the end, we'll have it again. We'll call it rivalry round, and now you've just invented a new thing you can get people excited about it. you can sell tickets for you can do tv adverts for it blah 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 and you can sell that as another part of the package and then yeah. you do that for enough years and suddenly you've got ratings figures to say well actually when we play all against rovers it gets this money as opposed to that many so actually we think that's a more valuable sale for you so you should yeah and money. that was one of the things they failed with magic weekend was that they made that rivalry round to begin with and yeah, so all that's... of a sudden it seems where the rivals were playing each other like at least three times a year all up and it, it, it lost some of its magic funnily enough but that yeah and they've learned that lesson i think and i think yeah. you know if it was up to me you would have you know you you would do that in england where you would say okay so halfway through the season we're going to pick an england team at the you know whatever three what how many halfway through the season mm-hmm. but before that we're going to play lancashire yorkshire twice one in yorkshire one in lancashire and you would say okay well this is going to be the trial at the end of it we'll pick a team like, and that's what the trial's for. That's kind of what the origin should be. At the end of it, they should say, okay, we're going to pick a kangaroos team. If they're going to do their theoretical kangaroos, like, do it at the end of origin. And then yeah, you've got but, it. And then by the end of the year, you say, oh, who's the bolter for that? It's, you know, Brian Potter, is he good enough anymore? Or is he going to go back and play for tomorrow? Like, I don't know. See, I don't know about that. Because, that, like, when they pick these teams, like, they, I think they did that a couple of years ago where at the end of the origin series, they said, okay, here's the a post-origin kangaroo merit team or something and i just wanted to spew it made me sick it's like this team's not playing anyone and we know that it's not going to be the team that gets picked you know at the end of the year to play international games so what the hell are we doing and look at the end of the day it's just to get the the jersey sponsor some some airtime and i get that yeah yeah but i i hate it so much yeah, well, look, this, what what I mean is that you could, if you knew that that team would play, it would help for one. I would yeah, be a bit about it if I knew it actually played a game from time to time. Yeah. But like, in terms of in terms of creating content throughout a year, and I hate referring to a league of content, but that's what it is. Like, 
they if you you need to have these reasons to have people talk about what whatever it is that you're doing and ultimately just having 20 you know 25 rounds of nrl which essentially if you think about what the afl has like the afl essentially has 25 rounds or how many rounds they have of whatever like that aren't that interesting you've got yeah. like indigenous round that's a joke because you don't have any indigenous players and everyone thinks you know you've got a history of racism like even i who knows very little about afl knows that indigenous people have a shit time in it yeah. like so what do they sell? Like, what is their, their USP week to week? I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not an expert on AFL, but, like, I don't know. Like, maybe there is that I don't get. But, you know, feel free, people on Twitter, to send me tweets about this. <laughs> like, we we could have that over over a period where every month, you know, there was something going on that was different. You wouldn't do it every round, but you would do it some rounds. Mm. And I think ultimately the end of that has to be the most important thing. And the most important thing at the moment is the grand final, like which works on a domestic level. But then the joy of the, you know, if you watch the Premier League, like you still care who wins the Premier League and you win, care who wins the Champions League. But then like the World Cup and European Championships are bigger and more important than that. Like, that's yeah, and look, I think it, it used to be that way a lot in, in rugby league. If you look back over the record books, uh, and look, you've got to go back decades now to get to these points. But the season was defined by what happened at the end of the year in internationals and in tour matches. And they were the markers that were put down in terms of where is rugby league at right now? Who are the best players? Who, who was, who was the best team in the world? That's how it was traditionally looked at. And whereas now it's very much about club football. And look, I don't like it. I, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember when you would be excited for the Kangaroo Tour. Who was who was in the team? Who was the the last players that would make that squad? And they used to take a massive squad over. And uh, you know, now those markers for what is happening in rug, rugby league this year, it's not so much about international football. And that's why I loved it a few years ago when. All of a sudden, the marker for what happened in international rugby league was that Tonga beat everyone. They beat everyone, and there were no excuses. It wasn't like Tonga beat Australia and Australia was missing half a dozen players. They flat out beat Australia, you know. And and Great Britain couldn't win a game, and there were no excuses. They just could not win a game on their tour. And I loved that about that season. And unfortunately, COVID hits immediately after that. And, you know, all of the international travel is shut down and it's very hard to play international footy. Um, but that's what I want rugby league to get back to is that, yeah, the club season's great and all that. But the what was rugby league in, in 2021? It was the World Cup. Did you see what happened in the World Cup? That's what rugby league needs to be. And that's what like I want it to be. And the the problem is, I think you got a couple of generations of people that don't even know that's possible. No, that's true. That's true. Like I'm, I mean, we were joking about it last night. I'm still walking around in a Great Britain Tri Nations 2004 hat, because yeah. <laughs> that even when I was a kid in the early 2000s, like at the end of the year, getting the Kangaroo Tour or getting the New Zealand Tour, or whatever, was like the best thing that happened. Mm -hmm. You know. Especially because you would get in England, you would get it on a November night, and it would be freezing, and you'd be like, "Yeah, does this lot fancy it? Like, do they fancy it at all?" And you'd hope it pissed it down because they, you know, because then it was like we're gonna, we might actually beat them this time, mm -hmm. and getting to see like longer and longer and lockier, longer and lockier, longer and lockier, 
getting all confused in my head. Like all these players who would suddenly come over and you'd be like, oh, this is the best of it. And then, you know, Stuart Field and just smashed one of them. Like mm-hmm. that was, or, you know, I was at the game where Morley got sent off after 12 seconds. And yeah, when he smashed Robbie Kerr. Do you remember yeah. the lead up for that? And they're like, he's going to be unleashed. He's going to be unleashed. And then he was unleashed. And it's like, well, that was quick. <laughs> and we knew, nobody remembers. We nearly won that as well. We playing with 12 men the whole game. Nearly won that game. Um, but yeah, you know, like I was at those games, and it was like the best thing. It was better than the grand final, the cup final, whatever. Like, and I feel like that died in England after it died in Australia. Like, we still got excited about it because we are, I guess, because we also watch, always watch the NRL, whereas yeah. you don't watch Super League. But there, there's also the. I think there's also the thing, and I've talked about this on the the podcast a few times that I think certain sporting cultures they need a dragon to slay, and Australia's a dragon to slay in rugby league, and but for Australian Rugby League, it was like, really, we're playing Great Britain again. Like, we, could, we know what the result's going to be. That's how we looked at it. And we generally got that result. And that's why, and I attended the 2008 World Cup. And it was, as funny, because people will sometimes have a go at me about the 2008 World Cup. And I'm like, are you serious? That was one of the most magical Rugby League experiences I've ever had in my life. Like, sitting there and... And I had my jersey on and the the stadium's packed and the way that everyone was reacting like when we're watching and this team that had been world champions since before I was born. And it's like, oh, my God, is this happening? I think they're going to do it. And Benji Marshall's like playing one of the greatest games anyone's ever played before. And there was this buzz. And I don't think anyone was upset about the result because we all saw something so magical happen. And I think that's the same thing that we see with Tonga. When Tonga play, and this is why I think Jason Tamalolo is one of the greatest players of all time, where you've got this guy that says, no, I'm I'm not playing for New Zealand. I'm going to play for Tonga. And I don't care what the result's going to be, I'm playing for Tonga. And he builds this culture and this team around him that, like, a few years later, they beat Australia. And that is what rugby league, to me, is about. That's when it's at its most special. And that's what we need to... And I agree with you. Like, State of Origin's great. I love it and everything. But the pedestal is that. That's where you make legends. And I mean, not to steal somebody else's podcast idea here, but that's why Australia needs to be chased. Like, so, like that's, that's why ultimately like, the best thing that any Australian rugby league fan can ask for in this World yeah. Cup is for Australia to lose to England in the final. Yeah. Like, because I can tell you from like from cold, hard, bitter experience, like the best thing that has happened to cricket in the last thirty years is that England beat Australia in the Ashes. Yeah. Like, yeah. and then, yeah, because ultimately, like when I was a kid. No one cared. I watched cricket religiously, but no one cared about it. Mm-hmm. Like, no one cared about it. In 2005, England beats Australia in the Ashes, and then suddenly loads and loads of people care about cricket. They know who Andrew Flintoff is or Michael Vaughan or whatever. And it doesn't matter that they went to Australia and got absolutely flogged the next time because the fact that they'd beaten once meant that it was a contest again. Mm-hmm. Like every year before that, it wasn't a contest. Like, so yeah. that. I'm not sure if that, that, you know, people in Australia probably didn't get bored of the Ashes, but like the fact that England won it suddenly changed the dynamic, and now it's a contest. Like now it's yeah. 50-50. Like I, England could come here and get flogged five 0 They could come here and win. Like I mean, I hope very much hope one rather than the other. But like, do you know what I mean? At the moment, England needs to think that England can win, and at the moment they don't think that. Like that's no. a fundamental thing as well. Whereas Tonga, 
did they thought they could beat Australia and they went and did it. Like I remember going to the game, I guess it would have been about the two thousand and four Kangaroos tour, no, two thousand and three Kangaroos tour. Mm-hmm. England were in every game or Great Britain were in every game but lost two, every game in the last Yeah, two thousand and three they lost right at the end of every game, yep. And they didn't think they could win. Mm. They didn't think they could win. And look at that. I mean, that team was a great Great Britain team. You know, Scorthorpe and Faro and blah, 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 all that. And then they went down to Sydney in 2004, would it yep. And won. Oh, no, 2006, sorry, and won. You know, the Long, yeah. Sean Long and Gareth Ray and that team that won in the SFS. Like, and, but it was so surprising, you know. And they, they don't have that mental barrier. And, like, whoever can beat that mental block is the one who will, once they win it, they believe they can win it. And then suddenly you've got, you know, then you've got more of an international game because then you can sell that to an Australian public in a better way. And look, ultimately, the reason that the international ability that you remember from your youth and that probably was even before my youth, you think of like the 94 Kangaroo Tour and earlier, was because from the 70, late 70s onwards, the professionalism level between British Rugby League and Australian Rugby League went in two different directions. Yeah. So that's that's ultimately what did it. And like, I mean, that, you, there's a whole other backstory there about the rise of poker machines and, you know, fun, how full-time the athletes were compared to when they were still working in factories and that in the UK. That's one aspect of it, but also just general, you know, media environment and popularity in Sydney as opposed to in, in the United Kingdom. All of this stuff that's gone by the by, and, you know, if you want someone to talk about that, go and speak to Tony Collins about it. But, like... Yeah. That that was what killed the international game the first time round was because Australia just got way better than everybody else, which is their, totally their prerogative to do that. And like, yeah. you should try and be as good as possible. And England didn't realise until it was too late that Australia had just gone to another level. Well, they like the thing to remember too is that when '94 rolls around, Australia has been the number one nation for a while, but they've been a little bit ahead of Great Britain. And they had some really good Great Britain teams, especially in the early 90s. But it wasn't a lifetime ago that Great Britain could have said we were the best, you know. And then you come to Super League and there's a whole Super League mess. And we come outside the the, the other side of Super League and Great Britain's sort of like, all right, we're back into it. And they start getting unmercifully flogged by Australia. And it was like the the gap that, in say 94 wasn't that huge all of a sudden was just bigger than it's ever been and I, I think that that really shocked Great Britain and I don't think they knew on so many levels what to do with that because they didn't know how it had happened like and I, I think that there was a case of you know they said well is it the did the rules change too much and i think that that was something they focused on a little bit then it was a case of well is it just a money thing is it a training thing uh, do we just not believe in ourselves and i think that there was a, they weren't really studying what was happening actually on the field and i think that that hurt them and the background to the australian teams and the, the Southern Hemisphere teams in general as time went on, in that the NRL was such an intense competition week in, week out, and they just weren't getting that in Super League. But they didn't, you only, I always say, you only know what you know. And they didn't even know coming out of the other side of Super League that things had changed so much just in a few years. And I, I still think at times that there's, 
a, a misunderstanding in the Great Britain or, or the England setup these days of of what they really need to do, you know. And, and I think that they've been helped along the lines of players that have come over to the NRL and have played their football over here. That's definitely helped them. But I think that um, I, I I think that there's still a little bit of a feeling in English rugby league that oh, we can beat Australia and do it the English way. And it's like, forget the English way. You, you just got to have the best talent and you got to coach at the elite level because there's no way, you know, Tonga didn't go out and say, we're going to beat Australia the Tongan way. They just went out and beat Australia. And I think that that's something... You know, you know what it is, though? It comes it comes down ultimately. Like, this is... There's, there's what I mean, what you're saying is right. Like, if it was up to me... All 17 players who played for play for England in the World Cup would play in the NRL. Yeah. Like, and there, but there is a cultural block in English sporting thinking, which mm-hmm. largely comes from the "we invented this, therefore" logic. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if you look at what what has happened that has made English football soccer shit, is because none of their players played abroad. Like, none of their players played abroad. I think they just picked their Euro squad, which has got a couple of guys from Borussia Dortmund. And it's like the first time they've had a player who didn't play in the Premier League since Owen Hargreaves in 2006, who didn't grow up in England, Canadian, and David Beckham, who was at the end of his career. So, and then if you look back before that, you're going back to 1990, before they picked players who didn't play in England. So they, they almost had this sort of, not unwritten rule, like they never, they would have picked players if they were good enough. Mm. But English players thought, why, I earned enough money in the Premier League, why would I go play somewhere else? Yeah, it's just economics. Yeah. And then you look at, okay, so why were England cricket shit all the time? What was the fundamental difference that changed between England cricket not winning the World Cup and winning the World Cup? Half the players played in the IPL. They learned to play a different style. They would never have learned to play if they'd have continued playing for Yorkshire and Somerset. Mm -hmm. Like, they developed a different thing from different thinking. And if you look at what's happening now, there's this fundamental misconception, which is, you know, if I was on the, the version of this podcast that exists in Super League, like, I would be saying every player should not play in Super League. They should play in the NRL and that it will not hurt Super League one job, mm-hmm. not one tiny little bit, if the top 20 players in England don't play in England. Like, people in England don't go to watch Rugby League to see Sam Tompkins or, mm-hmm. like, to see, you know, Alex Warnsley, whatever. They go to watch St. Helens, to watch Wiggins. Like, they don't care who plays for them. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit different to over here where exactly. we're a little bit more star focused and talent focused. Whereas over there, it's very much like I'm go, I'm going out to see my team, and they will go out and watch their team. It doesn't matter who they're playing as well. Exactly. So like, I, I don't know. I support OFC, right? And I'm not going to go. God, the thing is, Jake Connor left OFC, so I'm just going to give up on them. No, absolutely not going to happen. Like, and it's it's this idea. You get it in the UK all the time. It's, absolutely shits me it tears like what people the problem is is that everybody used to know who Ellery Hanley was and nobody knows who you know Johnny Lomax is and you're like yeah because there was two channels on TV yeah exactly <laughs> two, and, and <laughs> forget none that of, none of, and none of them showed the single biggest sporting product in the fucking world mm. like which happens all around rugby league like mm. it's, it kind of annoys me about Australia as well because Australia sort of, when they bag on Super League I just sort of think yeah, the two biggest football clubs in the world, like two, if you look at the top 10 football clubs in the world, three of them are in rugby league fans, mm-hmm. like Man United and Liverpool. And yeah. that doesn't include all the other football teams in the greatest football competition in the world, TM, 
like whether it is or not, whatever. But like realistically speaking, in the marketing of it to people, rugby league is going to a fucking bazooka fight with a spud gun. Like yeah. for one and for two, if Wigan had a casino attached to their stadium and St. Helens had a casino attached to their stadium, they probably would have a lot more money. Like in the way that Parramatta do and the way that St. George do. Like these things which fundamentally people do not understand about rugby league in the UK that is different to Australia. But like this is what they need to do. And I think, do you know what? They might have it taken out of their hands because the exchange rate is so much in favour of Australia at the moment. That they Australia can go like a team as shit as the West Tigers can go to the England starting centre and go, mate, come play for us. Like and if I was I, I mean, I wish I knew who the analytics departments were at NRL, uh, NRL clubs because I'd be going, that Johnny Lomax kid, none of you, you're trying to give Andy Milford 500 grand a year to play footy. Like, go and get Johnny Lomax. Like, he's fucking brilliant. Like, George Williams or John Bateman or Luke, Luke Thompson is playing for the worst team in the NRL. And as anyone with super coach will tell you, absolutely killing it. And, like, they just went and got him. Like, and I'm sure he's on less money than fucking... I can't even think of their other prop forwards. I bet he's on less money than them. But, and, you know, the thing that, you know, the one that gets me is Herbie Farnworth, who it, uh, that's who I would be targeting if I was NRL clubs. I'd be going over there looking at the, the youth systems over there and that, look, they're not what they used to be. And that's a whole nother podcast we could probably have. But I would be looking at those those teenagers the good athletes, the ones that have, and it's going to suck to hear this, but the ones that haven't been ruined yet by the Super League experience, the the poor coaching and stuff like that, you can get over there, get them over when they're younger. And we saw it with Gareth Widdop. You know, Gareth Widdop come over as a teenager and ended up, look, at one point, I think he was close to the best player in the world. It wasn't very long. But he was a fantastic player. Unfortunately, you look at that's happening. That's happening. You look. I, I mean, I went down to um, I went down to watch the Kaveri Supertales and playing in the. And I was in. A, who was I watching? I was watching somebody, and I, I caught the the Raiders youth team by accident. And Harry Rushton was playing for me. He's played a couple of games for Wigan mm. in the Super League, and I was like, "Fucking hell!" Like he's playing New South Wales Cup, and he's playing. Yeah. Okay, he played Super League. But you look, Bailey Hodgson at Newcastle, Dom Young at Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Like, it is happening. Players are getting picked up earlier and earlier. And I would be looking, if I was an NRL club, I'd be, I'd like, I would have three or four of them playing there. Go well, and, look, like, I, don't un- I don't understand why NRL clubs don't do this with, like, I don't understand why they're not scout. And look, they do to a certain extent. But I feel like it's a very informal system where they'll pick up players from Fiji and places like that. I don't understand why they don't spend a little bit more in terms of talent scouting, uh, not only the Pacific Islands. I'd be I'd be talent scouting everywhere. You know, I'd be looking at the players that didn't get drafted in the NFL and saying, is there anybody here that I believe not only could make the, the transfer, but they're athletically have the... Because, I mean, they play in, you know, 10-second bursts over there. But athletically, can they get through it? Can I turn one of these guys into a second rower? Can I turn, you know, and I'd be looking at everyone. And I guess at some point it comes down to money. I know sometimes it just comes down to, like, you look at a, a club like Penrith. They don't really need to do that. They've got such a good junior development base that they can choose from. But if I was some of these other clubs that don't have that same base... That's where I would spend my money is on the talent scouting. 
And I, I do. I think I'd be looking through French rugby league everywhere because I think that's one of the untapped things. And I also think that that's one of the things about the NRL is that it, that helps these Southern Hemisphere international teams more than anything is that we're all playing together in the one competition and we're all learning the the newest tactics at the same time and stuff. And, and that's where that England doesn't really get from because you know they're the other side of the world in Super League that when it comes to internet when it comes time to play internationals Tongan plays the Samoan plays the Fijian plays they all know the latest stuff they all have been using the latest tactics they've all been featured players in these elite teams and England just it's like every time there's an international game it's this giant learning curve for them that they can't overcome in a game or two yeah you know it's it's um I think there's two parts to it. Like one is is absolutely hubris, like the NRL mentality, which I find is like a wider Australian mentality, but doubled in rugby league of like we are the best at this, so who cares what everybody else thinks? Mm-hmm. Like they don't think they could learn anything or that like, anybody could do it better than them. So you're like, well, there's actually a whole other rugby league competition full of good rugby league players who you could go and pick up on the cheap. Mm-hmm. And I think it's there's there's an element of pigheadedness about it where it's like well, sort of the second part of it is like, look, you're not going to go into the French Rugby League and get the next, like, Jonathan Thurston. Yep. So I tell you what, you get 10 blokes who could play, like, play for the Gold Coast Titans and play for the Bulldogs and be cheaper and better than the people who are currently doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the gap between, like, the gap between the top of the Super League and, I don't know, let's say Saints, if they're, they're currently top of the Super League, Saints, Catalans, Wigan, Hull FC, like, they wouldn't, I don't think they would finish bottom of the NRL. Like, they're not that much worse. See, well, I think I, they would. I, I personally think they would. Right, well, I'm, well that's another debate. But like, yeah, we'll get, yeah, that's cool. Like, but, but man, like, we're going to have to do 15 you, podcasts by the end of this. Uh, if you, yeah, 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 definitely. If you were, if you were the Gold Coast Titans, though, like, you look at, I don't know, like the lower end of their roster and the lower end of the um, Bulldogs or whatever, you say, could I get someone who would be cheaper and would, would I'm not going to turn them into a New South Wales player or like that, an elite player. But I could turn a player from being like a raw athlete into a solid hundred game first grader, mm-hmm. like, and then you've got money you can spend on somebody else. Like, yeah, to me, you could. I mean, I've pitched. I actually pitched this years and years ago to one of the people at the USA uh, USA rugby league. Yeah. Of like, how many kids come out of the high school football system in say Philadelphia, right, or like. Orlando, I don't know, like a mid-sized American city, right? Mm-hmm. They all create huge reams of data, which you could then go, you could go and data mine and say, okay, well, this kid, he's got this much lung capacity, he's got this much blah blah, blah and you would just take them on mass and move them all to leave. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, look, you might, you you might only get one player out of a hundred grand worth of, you know, worth of uh, investment, but. That one player, like going and signing a player in Super League, is going to cost you three hundred grand. And like, you might get two players, you might get six players, you might get, you might get five players, three of whom end up playing for Dewsbury. Yeah. But like, you've created this ecosystem, and then they, you would have to go and say, okay, we're going to take these guys at sixteen, and it wouldn't be a difficult sell. Like, if you go to, I don't know, Philadelphia or Baltimore or somewhere like that, and you've got a predominantly African American predominantly low socioeconomic class group of people and say, look, this is a shot in which you could be a professional sports person. Like I think of, you know, the guy Monty Gaddis, right? He's working in Cleveland. He's from, mm-hmm. you know, an yeah. African-American background in Cleveland. He's quite famous yeah. social media kind of guy. 
if he'd have got the opportunity to play rugby league, like he played at Amsterdam Cobras, right? I played at Amsterdam Cobras. You don't have to be very good to play for the Amsterdam Cobras. <laughs> like, it's not an elite level of footy. Like, if you turn up with boots, you're on the bench. Like, yeah. you're playing. But he played there. Like, if imagine if we'd got him at 16 coming out of high school football, he went to play college, didn't get signed for whatever. What Cleveland was that? Browns, right? Cleveland Browns. So, but if we'd have got him at 16 and said, here's a shot, you could be a professional athlete. You could go and play in Leeds. You know, we'll give you a couple of games for Hunslet. Like, see if you're any good. You can play, go and play for Stanley. If you're good enough for Stanley, you might get a good shot at Hunslet. If you're good enough for Hunslet, you might get a shot at Leeds. Like, and if you did that with enough investment and like you could produce, you could go to fucking geeks, like analytics people who would run this great software for you and run it because they just create so much physical data in terms of like the combines that they do and things like that. And if you look at the percentage, say there's 10,000 high school footballers in Philadelphia and you go, okay, so let's say 1% of that is going to go to college football. 80% of that are not good enough. There's still like how many thousand people? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Who were athletically good enough to be to be sports people, but for whatever reason didn't get picked. So some of them, you know, I said they'll be linebackers like too fast. Some of them might be kickers too small. But that's still like a substantial amount of people. And if you look at like my dad worked in rugby league development, right? And he would often say that there was what he called the third kid theory, mm-hmm. which was like in in Sydney, if you are the best athlete in school, you're gonna play rugby league. Mm-hmm the third best athlete in the school, barring a cultural division like your family or Greek or something or Indian, they might play cricket, Greek might play soccer. But like by and large, you get the access to the top three or four athletes in every school, whereas it's not rugby league in England gets the third. Because yeah. Both. And, and, and this is something too that people don't understand is that the elite, you know, the top sportsmen at a school, they they can choose. You know, they can, they yeah, do everything. Yeah. They do absolutely everything. That's why you hear all these stories of uh, sometimes you'll get a youngster that breaks into the NRL and they'll say, well, he, he was an, he used to do athletics and he played rugby union and stuff. It's like, yeah, because they literally are the best athletes at everything at their age group. And well, they you know who the, who the best kid my dad ever taught was? Ryan Giggs. Ryan Wilson, yeah. as you yeah. just know. But of course he went and played soccer because even though his dad was a rugby league player, who played for Swinton, my dad taught him when he was a junior, a junior rugby player in Salford. Mm-hmm. Of course he went and played soccer. Like James Graham, played in the NRL, knows Wayne Rooney and Joey Barton, who both went and played for England, obviously Wayne Rooney way more successfully, at soccer. James Graham, not the body type to play soccer, but clearly a good enough athlete. Mm-hmm. So all these people know all these other people. And the difference is that in the, the NRL, has got what, nine Sydney clubs? So you've got uh, nine, nine, yeah. nine professional rugby league clubs from a city of 5 million people, right? Yeah. 12, so you've got 16 from a system which has got 12 million people in it in terms of population of Queensland, New South Wales. Purple, I mean, you can give or take a few in New Zealand, etc. But for the, pur- for the purposes of comparison, that's about the population of the north of England, right? Yeah. But in the north of England, you've got about, I can count, about 15 professional soccer clubs. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got, and that's just, you know, even if you go down to the level of like Rochdale and Oldham, I'm from Rochdale, right? They play, they're playing the, they just got relegated from the third tier to the fourth tier of English football, and they pay more money than most of the Super League. Yeah, and like, I mean, there would be young, there would be contracts they give to the like junior soccer players that 
would be eye-watering for, uh, you know, a Super League club to give to their best player. Like, it's not a, it's not even a, you know, you might get a, a young player that could do whatever he wants. He, he literally cannot go and say, yeah, I'm going to choose rugby league over soccer because it, it's like you're put, you're leaving a million bucks on the table to do something that, you, it's a million guaranteed dollars to maybe just be a good junior player for the rest of your life, you know? you got to take it. Jermaine McGilvery plays for Uddersfield. His son is in the Man City Academy, mm-hmm. like a, um, a Man City soccer. His son's like, what, 10 or 11. He's, mm-hmm. I remember him speaking on a podcast. He's like, why on earth would that kid, who's obviously got all the genetics to be a great rugby league player, like Jermaine McGilvery is a great rugby league player, Playing for a, you know, played was the top scorer in the World Cup, I think, or played a load of games for England, played for Huddersfield for a million years, great, great winner. Like, why would his kid play? Like, if his kid is halfway good at football, mm-hmm. halfway good, even if he makes a career playing for Huddersfield Town, like he'll make five times as much money, but never getting concussed. Mm-hmm. Like, why on earth would you do that? I mean, in Australia, people don't have to deal with that. Like, you, the, the body type difference between rugby league and cricket, like whatever and then the a league is like whatever who cares like if you're long and thin you might end up playing afl or if you're from the lower north shore if you're already fantastically wealthy and went to the right school you might end up playing rugby union but broadly for the huge what three million people who live in western Sydney, Mm -hmm. the most obvious sport to play is rugby league Mm -hmm. whereas unless you happen to come from wigan or st ellen's or all like you are going to have multiple options on the table yeah and it would be a very stupid child and very stupid parents who didn't immediately go for the soccer option. Yeah, 100%. If it's even half on the table. like Because I grew up in Rochdale in a family absolutely obsessed with rugby league. Mm-hmm. Only topic of conversation in my house was rugby league. And if I, if I was good enough to play soccer for Rochdale or play for, I don't know, Huddersfield, like, it would be ludicrous for me not to play soccer for Rochdale because I would just make more money in a much safer environment. And look, on top of that, I would also say if I if I lived in England and I had a kid that was an athlete that couldn't play soccer, just he didn't have the body type, he, he, he was going to turn out James Graham style. Uh, hopefully he wasn't a ginger. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, would, I, I would say to that kid, you're playing rugby union as well. And even if they didn't like it, I'd say, listen, if you're if you're as good at rugby league and rugby union in England, you are going to make way more money playing rugby union and it's going to be easier on your body as well. And you're going to have way more commercial opportunities doing that. And like, you just would have to, you have to. Yeah. I mean, the best kid, the best kid in my age group, like the age group, I get played juniors all the way through from five or six up until 14 or 15. So I'm the same age group as Sam Burgess, Sam Tompkins, Liam Farrell, the best kid, unquestionable, John Turner, who played for Canberra for a bit, he was in my age group, the best kid was Kyle Eastman, by absolute mile. Mm-hmm. Like, played for, he played, <laughs> this was my nemesis, because he played, I played for Wright, so he played for Oldham. I played for Wright and Tigers, he played for Oldham and our rivals, <laughs> and our skills rivals. So I, and we played 5 8. But I was constantly up against so, him. So, hey, what, what you're trying to say is you hate his guts. I get it. I get it. Oh, mate, it wasn't even worth hating. He was so much better than everybody else. <laughs> like, he, 
But he 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 played for England at rugby league and rugby union. But he yeah. switched because there's way more money in it, like way more money in it. And he probably like his cousin played for Arsenal at soccer. Like he wasn't. He clearly had the genetics to be a very good athlete. Whatever he did, and he just happened. He was probably a bit too stocky to play football, and he came from Oldham, so he played rugby league. But like, had he been from five miles down the road in Moston, he would have played soccer. Like, and it was just a fluke, you know. And his, so he, and he's retired now at, at 31, 32, because he can't catch anymore. His body's done. And that was mostly playing rugby union. So like, why would you, he switched to rugby union early, made probably three or four times as much money playing rugby union. And now he's retired and he came back to Super League to play for Leeds, play about two games and was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, like, I thought I'd enough. heard that he'd come back to rugby league. I was surprised when he said he'd retired. Wow, that didn't last long. Well, no, I, in fairness, though, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I, I don't know him personally, not for two year kids anyway. But I would imagine that he, he, like, he got a contract off Leeds and after a couple of weeks was like, no, I can't do this anymore. And he fair play for him. He's turned, turned down the money. He could have sat there and played Resi for the rest of the year. Like, and he didn't. So, got to go dual, dual registration at Featherston or whatever and play. <laughs> and he didn't take the money. So, fair, fair play to him. But he, like, you look at, like, the standard of athlete that is required you know, we are getting the third or fourth choice of athlete in England. So I think I feel like England has got gets a bad rep on the rugby league level in Australia without understanding the wider context of it. Mm. I don't know what that has to do with state of origin, but mate, this is why, like, I wanted to talk to you because I I could see from your article that you looked at things from different perspectives, and I love that, and that's something I've always tried to do on my website is look at rugby league from a different angle. And it's funny because sometimes you'll do it and people will be like, wow, that's great. And other times you'll do it and you'll get absolutely torn apart for it. Um, but it's all part of the journey, isn't it? Yeah, man. You've got to, like, I don't know. I feel like the the uninformed person is one who only looks at, you know, the one thing. You've got to look at things holistically. And I'm lucky, really, because, like, I got I have a platform in Forbes where they, you know, they very rarely do they tell me anything to write about and I'm lucky as well in that because I've spent years because this is a shite state of journalism as it is <laughs> 10 years also working in marketing yeah. you know and I like to think at some point I've picked something up like I worked for Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein and, and uh, Polaroid and loads of various other you know fashion kind of stuff so I like to think I've at least, I've at, least at some level picked up like a little bit about marketing and just go, well, why does sport think it exists in a different world to everybody else? Like, mm-hmm. why, why does he think that you're like, ultimately sport exists in a world where the choice isn't between rugby league and rugby union, the choice is between rugby league and, and like the cinema. Yeah. Like or the Xbox. Like, and we, we are ill-equipped really to deal with it because we're tragic. Like we'll watch you, you know, I was sat at home when I was still in the UK. I was sat at home watching a live stream of the Irish Grand Final in Gaelic. Like my dad sits and watches, sits and watches Elite One on his phone. Like we're not on a, we're not a usual market this because yeah. we would watch anything. Yeah, like, me, look, me and Andrew. Uh, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. No, it was last year. We watched the Netherlands play Germany on a. Oh, <laughs> mate, a, I could have played in that game. I, you could have been watching me play. There, was, I tell you what, there was a. It was a German player. He's a big dude, and he killed it in that game. That Germany lost from memory, but uh, yeah, Jerome Schoenmacher scored a great try. He was uh, he was one of my teammates at the um, at the Amsterdam Cobras. Oh, they they uh, funny because the, the two halfbacks who played for Germany they were at my halfback partner. So I played seven for the Cobras, 
Liam played Liam played six and Vivi played thirteen, I think. And we were, the first game that I played from our hooker was Swiss as well because I used to live in Germany. Yeah. They turned up. They were turned up from Germany to play because they didn't train with us because obviously they lived in Germany. And they, but the closest rugby league club team to them was Amsterdam, just over the border. Mm-hmm. And so they they came. They were like, "Do we have any special calls?" And I was like, "You speak German. You speak German. Our hooker is Swiss. I speak German. So why don't we just do all the calls in German?" <laughs> and so we called the whole game against Rotterdam in German. <laughs> links, 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 links. But yeah, that. Um, but you look at like the the smorgasbord of rugby league content you can get now. Like you can watch games all day every day if you want right mm. but we are not that mar- most people's interaction with rugby league like i don't know i think of my missus's mom who watches manly seagulls games or like yeah. whatever's on telly and is in a footy tipping comp like she does not give a shit about australia against england like yes. she's probably going to watch it but yeah ultimately she is more akin to the mass media market than either me or you so yeah. and you have to think of the person who watches state of origin you need to make that person want to watch Australia against Tonga. Like, yes. And if you, it's interesting. So I went and dug this out. Mm. I was in an argument with Twitter, on Twitter with somebody about it yesterday. And I went and dug out the viewing figures for the Australia, England, the first game of the 2017 World Cup. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was brilliant. It was like yeah. the highest rated NRL game or rugby league game in Australia, except for the three origin game and the grand final. It did better than the semifinals. Like, I didn't. I don't know. If I couldn't find them right into the final. I just, I just, I just wondered what a randomly selected game that was held in there, yeah. held at that time of year was, and it was like nine hundred thousand people, like which is not an inconsiderable amount. And then you factor in how many people would have watched that game as well at ten thirty in the morning in England, like mm-hmm. probably more, probably like two million, three million, like just because obviously we have a larger population, like and no, you know live sport at ten thirty in the morning, but you better not get a pretty good audience because. Either that or you know, you know Sunday Kitchen or whatever Sunday brunch, whatever the shitty fucking program they have on BBC Two. So like, I don't know if it's competing with uh, Weekend Loose Women. It's <laughs> tough choice. Well, yeah, but you know, so it, it's like a proof of purpose. I like it does great if you put it on. And I hate one of my sort of hates in rugby league. If, if you build it, they will come mentality. But like that is true. Like the reason. The reason that people nay say a lot of this stuff is because they're never offered it. Yeah. Like, they don't get it as a product they could consume. So, how would you know if they want to consume it or not? And it's like this, you know, it's easy to say, like, oh, nobody wants to watch Rugby League after the grand final. It's like, well, yeah, but you don't ever show them anything after the grand final. So, how would you know? And I think that I think that with Rugby League people, for, you know, lack of a better term, there's also this thing of like, uh, you know, you talk amongst your club bases and your friends that normally have their clubs and things like that. And then when it gets to the international game, there's not that same sort of talk and interaction or, or rivalry or whatever it is that you've got going. But but then when the, as you say, when the ratings come out, the ratings are always really, really good. And I think because it's a different style of support and it's what we're not really used to in terms of we're used to club footy and origin footy and or, you know, in the UK, just club football. Then it gets to the international side of things. And because it is different, like you don't realize that there are so many people that are still interested in it. 
and it's a really easy gateway drug to say to somebody, hey, you should watch our nation play because it's your national team as well. And it's easier to do that than to say, you know what, you should watch Penrith play. And they'll say, who are they playing? It's like, oh, they're playing the Gold Coast. Well, who cares about the Gold Coast? You know what I mean? You only care about the Gold Coast when you go into a strip club or you want to have some of that special coffee that they sell up there. It's the... uh it's, there has been this theory for, for years, I've, I've often repeated, which is it's easy to convince somebody in Wakefield to hate somebody from Castleford, but very difficult to convince them why they should hate Tonga. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's easy. That's an easy sell. And that's why Club Rugby League works, especially Rugby League, because it's so tribal. Like, yeah. people care about Penrith in a way they don't care about Australia. Like, But that's the person who already is a Rugby League fan. Exactly. If you look at, I can tell you, Absolute certainty, right? The marketing demographic for international rugby in the UK is what's called ABC One, which is the rich people. They watch it because it's on BBC, and then you can get a higher brand of sponsor. Like Great Britain used to be sponsored by Gillette, like which is a pretty fucking blue chip brand. Where Paul Sculthorpe was on their ads, mm-hmm. like Paul fucking Sculthorpe was on, you know, with his broken nose, was doing the razor ads. And you look at like who the who the Super League is sponsored by, and it's fucking mushy Pete. Like, yeah. how much you pay, but it's a very different. I bet they're not paying as much as Gillette. Like, so yeah, you exactly. you look at you look at who international league touches, especially in England, where it's on free to air, like it's on BBC. If England plays at any level, it's on BBC. Yeah. Like, whereas you have to like you have to segment your audience and say like ultimately most of the people who watch rugby league will also watch England, but there'll just be five times as many people, and the other eighty percent of them won't care about Wigan against Castleford. Yeah. We'll care about England against France or England against Tonga, whoever. Like, and I'm sure that's the same here. Like, people in Victoria broadly don't watch NRL, but they do watch State of Origin. So, okay, mm-hmm. if you offered them a product that was like Origin, but more so, which is Australia against New Zealand, like, then you go. Then you still get those people and you get them six times a year rather than three times a year. Yeah. And then you can actually go, you can say, well, actually, this product that we have that we, you know, we, if I'm an, an advertiser, I then look at that and go, well, actually, I'm now touching, instead of touching 12 million people in my demographic, I'm touching 24 million people, essentially, mm-hmm. or whatever the, you know, the, the viewership figure is. It, with advertising intelligence, particularly, it's not even so much the numbers. Like, obviously, you want to have as many viewers as possible, but it's who's watching. Like, yeah. that's why if you watch, I don't know what daytime TV is here, but if you watch, like, Loose Women, you get advertised, like, stuff that old women like. Yeah. Whereas if you watch, like, The X Factor, you get advertised Coca-Cola, like, mm-hmm. because that's mass market. And these things matter. Like, that's how, you know, half of the... You get all your money from TV, and then you get all the money from the sponsorship. And if your sponsors are mushy peas, it's a bit different to when your sponsors are, you know, Gillette. To be fair, though, selling mushy peas in Northern England, I mean, that's a lie. Oh, pushing push an open door. There was a point... <laughs> There was a point where Wakefield was sponsored by a fish and chip chain and a trade union, and I was like, is there anything more rugby league than that? <laughs> the only way you could get a better rugby league sponsor in, in uh, Super League is if it was just gravy, just gravy-sponsored stuff. That would be yeah. the ultimate Northern England well, rugby league sponsor. Do you know, do you know they've got now, um, they've announced it yesterday that they're sponsored. This is, this is the trajectory of, you know, maybe this proves my point. When I, I used to work at Super League as like, you know, in the ticket office and that. 
mm. back in the day when they were sponsored by Dandelion and Burdock, which I'm sure you've never heard of, and Iron Brew. And it used to say on the cans of Dandelion Burdock, the official taste of rugby league. And I would, I, without fail, mention it to people. <laughs> like, oh, it's the official drink of rugby league. And I love Iron Brew. Iron Brew is one of my favorite things in the whole world. It's like Scottish I, I, I never products. had it. Oh, it's brilliant. You can buy it in like Woolies in Sydney. Um, and I, I give it to But they've just announced a sponsorship with Britvic, which is Pepsi. So it's going to be the Pepsi Max, you know, whatever is the official drinks partner of the Rugby League World Cup. Huh? And that kind of shows you that, like, Dandelion and Burdock is a drink that you pretty much exclusively would get in chippies yeah. like, or, like, newsagents, yeah. whereas Pepsi is fucking Pepsi. So, like, yeah. they're like, and it's, I don't know, I, f- I feel like it's anathema to most Rugby League people to discuss these things because it's not really what our game's about. It doesn't fit into our national national identity. It's kind of a, like our corpse identity as rugby league fans but like somebody has to have these thoughts and conversations otherwise what's the point like we'll just end up with you know western suburbs playing new fans like oh, yeah suburbs. exactly and look i i think that's the thing there are people that want to have these conversations that, that want to think about these things and push these things forward and i i wonder if sometimes they don't realize there are other people just like them because it's funny when you start talk. I've, this is what I found myself personally. When you start talking about these things that feel left field for the general rugby league conversations, you always run into somebody that will eventually say, "You know what? You're right," or "You know what? You're on the right track." But this is this is where you're going wrong on something. And I've always been really, and I think it's from because I grew up during the Super League war. So I was always fascinated by the business side of rugby league, um, how it was bad, the areas it could improve, and the other the other area that I really um, turned me during the Super League war was the journalism side of things, where journalism in Australia tanked really hard during Super League because, it, you know, you just it just was so blatant that the journalists from both sides were just writing propaganda for their, for their parent company. And I think that's where a lot of things set in for me in rugby league. So I always love the, the business side of things and the, you know, looking at market, like I, man, I wish I had a dollar for every single time I got into an argument with English rugby league fans on English forums, talking about how, they need to uh, expand the market and things like that. And they would think I was an alien, you know, I was talking a completely different language to them. And I would say things like, how are you going to get a national audience by selling Wakefield versus Castleford? And I was the devil as soon as I said that. So I do think there are people out there that want to talk about these things, but you've got to find them. I think that, that, yeah, I mean, the differences as well is that rugby league, has, it's almost come into a marketing environment that's actually quite amenable, 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 amenable to it, where it's one of the biggest currencies in marketing at the moment is authenticity, right? Because you're offered loads and loads of shit all the time, probably yep. more shit now than you've ever been offered ever before, and in a million different ways because of social media and because of different content delivery methods. So like half of my job at Tommy Hilfiger wasn't what should we, how should we sell things, but where should we sell it, right? Yeah. Like what what goes well on Instagram does not go well on Twitter, does not go well on TV, does not go well on a billboard. So you send different messages at different times. And rugby league, among unique amongst almost all sports, is like fundamentally authentic, right? It mm-hmm. it does it has a story that you can tell all the time. Like 
it's going to be a sort of a left field comparison, right? But I, the only reality show that I watch is RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay. So it's like the drag, um, I don't know, the Olympics of drag, it's occasionally known. <laughs> and the reason I, I don't, I'm not put off it in the way that I'm put off most reality TV shows. I mean, A, drag culture is brilliant. But like B, the thing that annoyed me about like the X Factor was that they would make up sub stories yeah. or make up like backstories. Whereas in RuPaul's Drag Race, they don't have to do that because everybody who gets on that show has an interesting story about how they became a drag queen. They all had to come out. They all had to go through this identity experience. All that. And it's interesting. And I believe it because I know that that person has actually done it. They're not faking it. Mm-hmm. Like, so Ruby League has that. Ruby League has an authentic narrative about you know, being the first class, first sport founded by class struggle, being authentically from somewhere that has like a significant geographic base that means like this is unfakeable. Like you're not going to get a Red Bull Leipzig in rugby league. Like it doesn't work. Like, yeah. Absolutely. People would be like, fuck off. I don't like it. Actually, German football is a good comparison because German football has this to a lesser extent as well, where it still means something in a, in a sort of cultural level as well as, you know, just being a, a sporting product that people consume. Mm. and so rugby league can sell that and actually in the in the uk that has been something that's been taking place like the marketing has taken a noticeable change towards the sort of northernness and i feel like you could sell the product of lancashire against yorkshire without it being fuck off the south like yeah. you could sell that okay like this is the thing that's you know this is where we're from this is what we do that doesn't mean you can't take part like nobody in western australia says well, the problem with state of origin is there's no western australia team in the way that when they when they did Origin in the UK, they ended up picking guys from London, like yeah. John Peters, who was neither from Lancashire nor Yorkshire. And you were like, well, what was the point of this? And then <laughs> exactly. like, like the whole point was it was Lancashire against Yorkshire, and then John Peters, who played for London Broncos and was from the South, like, or I think Brian Carney might have played in it as well. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, what? Like, it's not excluding them. It's just saying that this thing exists. Like, yeah. So... I used to say, with it, remember when great it was Great Britain, Great Britain, Great Britain, and then Brian Carney comes along, and then it was like they sort of were like Great Britain and Ireland, and so I just used to call it Great Britain and Brian Carney, because that's all. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, in fairness, that 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 was less silly because you know you're in Rubini, for example, you have the Great Britain and Irish Lions, like if yeah, you yeah. a jump as anyway, but yeah, I understand the point. So. Rugby League could sell that product and say, like, look, we are this authentically in the, in Australia. I hundred percent would sell that we are the authentically the most diverse sport in Australia. Like yeah. something that I would, and I would do that with the women's game as well. Say, look, our women's game is, is legitimately elite. We should use that as a as a selling point. And, and it's I'm organic that it, as well. And that, that's organic, the other thing. Exactly. It, it wasn't made up in a marketing, you know, uh, a marketing thing in AFL headquarters. Women's rugby league is actually being played for a very long time, and it's real. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the, and you look at like what what is sellable about British rugby league is the fact that people in you know, Wigan and Castleford and all of them really fucking care about it. Like in a way that is comparable to the Premier League in a positive way. When you say actually the Premier League is not really about you anymore, as we have seen with the European Super League, like it's not. It does. If you're from Liverpool, the Premier League does not care about you, and it hasn't actually cared about you for years. Whereas if you're from Wigan, Super League is your thing. You have this. This is something which is like the gap between the players and the fans is not as big. Like all of these sort of community stories that come out of them. Um, you know, there was the story a couple of weeks ago when Souths played in Dubbo and, and Latrell Mitchell and Cody Walker turned up at like a kiddies barbecue. Mm-hmm. And it was the greatest thing that I've ever Like I posted on Twitter because Kevin Sinfield used to come to my presentation now to bring half the rhinos. Like, mm-hmm. And they just went because they knew that that was a community that they came from. 
And that community, whether it was in Western Sydney or in Oldham, was was transferable. They understood that. And so rugby league can sell this idea and have it be real in a way that rugby union can't do that. Rugby no. union's authentic history is if you went to the right school and drank like drinking pints of piss, you'll fucking love this. Like, yeah. if you're, you know, you, you can be good at rugby, but ultimately, if you don't know your Latin vocab, fuck off. Like, that's... That's yeah, a, and it's I, it's very much a it's very much a um I don't know if lifestyle sport is the right words for it, but it, it's 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 not focused in the same way that other sports are focused too. Like it's interesting, you brought up something about German um football or German soccer is and I only found this out just the other day. I was watching some videos about it, how they had to be really careful when the Bundesliga started to become more commercialised and the clubs were able to become more commercialised in that they didn't lose... uh, There was a thing in Germany where if it was becoming too commercialised, they were going to turn their back on it. So they had to be really, really careful about how they did it because they had to be authentic to the sport itself and what the sport meant to Germans and, and and you know German Germany's I guess football history, um, and I think that that's one thing in rugby league that we also have to be careful with, and I think that that's why people, on a level that they probably don't even realise it, are so against some of these new rule changes that have been brought in because, you know, it's the the way they're being given to us is well, we want it to be a better product for TV. And it's like, okay, what you know, we get that to a certain point. We want this this to be a sport that people can look at, and they they want their kids to play it on a weekend under fives and stuff. And, and it's just you can't sell it that way because it's not authentic. You know, it's it's not. You know, rugby league is what it is at some level. Rugby league is a game where you get the ball, you tuck it under your arm, and 13 other people are going to drag you to the ground. There's no other way around it, and not everyone wants to play that sport. And so when you start changing the sport and trying to make it something for everyone, I think people sense that in their guts, and they turn on it. And I think that's what we're seeing now in the NRL. I mean, it's hard to say after the like instances short um sample size but like i don't know i feel like in the in the long run there's probably a line in which people are going to go like actually this hasn't gone soft like in the, in recent weeks when we've seen like the the crack the um crackdown on headshots like i mean for one that was already has already been a foul in for years mm. like that's just as far as i can see an equalization of the rules to the, how they were enforced everywhere else in the world until three weeks ago four weeks ago <laughs> Yeah. Like I spoke, I went and I was like, I sent a message to Robert Hicks, who um, refereed the World Cup final and super long time Super League referee, and was like, just just checking. This has always been the rule. Like, yep, that's always been the rule. <laughs> um, so, I think we, people probably don't understand. Like in Super League, every so often you would still get the guy that would come around and be like, I'm just going to take this guy's head completely off your shoulders. Like that still exists every so often in Super League. His, yeah, his name's Liam Watts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's been sent off more times. He had, I, just, I found this great stat. I went and went back through all the history for an article. Liam Watts had had, had, had more red cards himself than the entirety of the NRL in the last five years. Jesus. <laughs> Liam Watts. Holy shit. 
Well, remember Ben Flair in that Super League Grand Final a few years ago oh, against yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. just every so often. And look, we haven't had incidents like that, <coughs> excuse me, in the NRL maybe 10 years, I reckon. It, like, you very rarely, sometimes you'll get a guy that will eye gouge. I mean, that's a bit of a usually difference. An English, usually an English player. I wasn't going to say that, but I'm really glad you brought it up. I remember when um remember when uh James Graham went out of his way to bite Billy Slater in the grand final like he had to look for him. <laughs> still didn't get sent off. Like still yeah, that was so weird. Oh I, man. I was I was like I was getting apoplectic at people on um on Twitter about this. So they'd be like, Well what if it happens in the grand final? Well fucking send him off. Like, yeah. the grand final different rules. Like what? We sent Adrian Morley got sent off after twelve seconds. Ben Foyle got sent off after five minutes of the grand final. Like, if they do a foul and it's in the grand final, it's still a red card. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're playing in park footy or, like, fucking the grand final. It's still a fucking red card. Like, yeah. what, what Australia seems to have, and I get too annoyed about this, right? I've been getting annoyed about it recently because of the fucking, well, oh, they're so ruined origin. Well, how about you don't not try and do high tackles on people? Like, have you considered not high tackling people? Like, just... If Australia enforced the rule for 10 seconds, its mind would explode. Like, they, there's been this truism that people have always said in the Premier League for years, right? You know, like, if you, if someone gets fouled in the Premier League, like, they, everyone crowds around the referee. And I, and there would always be this narrative in England, like, well, we don't do that in rugby. We don't do that in rugby. Yeah, because if they did, they'd get sent off. They'd just start sending them off. Like, if you did, if every time somebody crowded around the referee in soccer, the referee lined them all up and booked them all, mm-hmm. you go through a weekend with 50 bookings, and then see how many bookings there'd be the next weekend? Mm-hmm. Fucking zero. Because the coaches would be like, how about we wind that one in? And actually, amid all of the magic weekend, blah, 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 nobody commented on what the Warriors said. There was only one game of that round that didn't have a single yellow card in it, or a Simbin in it, which was the Warriors game. Yeah. And the Warriors said afterwards, the reason we didn't get one is because we'd had five Simbinings in five games. And so the coach, Nathan Brown, was like, Nathan Brown? I think it's Nathan Brown. Was like, yep. just stop high tackling because you keep getting Simbin for it. Mm-hmm. And so they deliberately changed their tackling, tackling technique. And luckily for them, I suppose, the rules changed around what they had already been doing. But they they had gone, well, we, this is clearly negatively impacting our results. Is our poor discipline. So they've gone out and changed it. Yeah. And if you just keep yeah. doing it, like, I don't know, we're recording the day after um, the Dragons beat the Broncos and there was TC Rapati got Simbin. But, like, they, the the narrative was, well, they've stopped the crank, crank down ahead of Origin. And you're like, maybe there was just less high tackle. Like, because the players fucking learned the lesson. Like, if you, I mean, the, for me, the only problem that I have with it is that they did it mid-season. But, I mean, they changed the five-meter rule mid-season. Australia makes the rules on the fly based on its interior, sorry, internal media market all the time which is mm. annoying like they oh. should have said it in november and yeah. like the only people i've the only legitimate argument i could say against it is that they should have said it in november and instead of in the middle of the season yeah but like, the actual rule change i've not heard anybody come up with a reason why it isn't a good idea like it's not going to make the game go soft i mean joey johns he's the worst on it but he's like comes out and says oh it'll ruin origin blah 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 and you're like People said that when they banned punching. People probably said, you know, when football was founded in like 1860 and they wrote, they, um, wrote the rules of the Football Association to form association football, one of the people in the meeting said, if you ban shin kicking, I'll bring over a team of 
10 Frenchmen and beat you within a week. <laughs> like, this is all this. I mean, it took them about 150 years before Arsene Wenger actually did it. But yeah. you, but like, <laughs> you people have said this for years and years and years and years. And it was bollocks then, it's bollocks now. Like, mm. just people will change the rules incrementally. And like, you can debate, say, the six again, whatever. You can debate stuff like that and say, is that a positive thing? But in terms of like pure foul play, like, it's not a debate. Like, it's just not. Like, I got yeah. into a debate literally with fucking Goss Girl about this on um, Twitter. I can't believe he retweeted and destroyed my mentions for a whole day. But he he was going over, oh, the thing is about the concussions is they're all defensive concussions. And you're like, well, they're not. They're clearly, like, even if it was 70, 30, I haven't got the exact figures. But somebody, I did actually read an article where somebody had got the exact figures. Mm-hmm. And said, so, well, you can't do anything about defensive concussions, but you can do something about high tackles. Yeah. So, like, go and do the bit you can do. Like, if people have poor tackling technique, get hit on the head by someone's hip when they're trying to tackle, clash heads with their own, the other tackler, like, much more difficult to control. But you can control high tackles by sending people off and banning them. And then, eventually, that will filter down to the point where coaches go, actually, they're not going to change, so we need to change. And that's what will happen. Like, just, yeah. it's stupid and, it happened mid-year, but that's what will happen. And I, th- I think the, things that, the thing that has really upset people for the most part, like I, I've I've yet to hear anybody say, oh yeah, it should be all right, it should be able to hit everyone in the head. That's cool. Um, but I think that the first of all, the way it was brought in and how it went to such an extreme level so immediately, and I think it's been wound back. Oh, I reckon it's been wound back eighty percent of the way already. Like, but I th- I think the way that it went to such an extreme level overnight with an arbitrary rule change. Um, you know, and it was literally uh, the day before Magic Weekend kicked off. And on top of that, with all of the other rule changes they'd been bringing in, and, the you know, the, everyone has to adjust to things. The referees do, the players have to, everyone does. And, you know, I think we're starting to see, uh, I don't think we're quite where it needs to be yet, but I think we're starting to see, where it probably should be, where if you hit a player in a high tackle, like, and they give you 10 minutes in the bin, I'm I'm not sorry. Like, uh, it's like, go to the bin, see you later. But I yeah. think it's the ones where it's like, you know, the, the classic James Tedesco thing where he runs into a tackle and he slides down and he hits his head on your sternum and you're just standing there with your arms out to the side and then you get sent to the, the, the bin for 10 and it's like, what was I literally supposed to do? Like, uh, there's nothing in my technique that's wrong. There's, you know, I'm not getting a lesson out of this because I was basically ran into by a dude that's head was hit me in the guts. I think those are the ones that are the ones that people have been most upset about. And we've seen them in the last couple of weeks. We've seen those instances fall less and less where we're now seeing if a player is falling down into a tackle and a guy's got his arms out by his sides and you know the attacker's head falls down and hits him by his arm to by his side we're not even seeing 10 in the bin for that at the moment in some instances Um, yeah i think there's been there's been teething issues with it like i'm i mean come back on the first point you made like the the doing it before the magic round, I feel it was completely on purpose because that's the, that's going to get a higher viewership. It's going to become the main story of it and everybody will talk about it. We send the message to 
the people that Peter Blandis, et cetera, want to send the message to that we are actually doing something. Like, I don't think that was an accident. For, I mean, maybe I'm a bit simple heart about that, but like, I don't think that was an accident. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, obviously, if you tell the referees to immediately enforce something and they know that they are being watched about it, they're probably going to go slightly too far and it will take them a few weeks to recalibrate, you know, within what is actually, and you know, they'll re- they watch every game back and they watch all their decisions back and they'll go, ah, maybe I see what's happened here. So it's taken a few weeks, like obviously, and it would have been, if that had happened in the first three weeks of the season, rather than three weeks in the middle of the season, probably most people would have gone, yeah, these are the new rules. Obviously it takes them a while to get used to it in the same way that it did with, you know, the first three weeks after the six again rule, we saw a couple of lopsided scorelines or, you know, all these kind of things that take a little bit of working through. Like when they changed the obstruction rule about where you could stand in the line and when the bunker decided, okay, this is what we're going to interpret, then it looked stupid for a couple of weeks, but eventually it worked itself out. Yeah. And you saw that in, I mean, I hate Byron football. I absolutely hate it. But if they, you know, when you see their interpretation of different offside rules or, or, um, the umpire's call, for example, in the cricket, it took a couple of bum ones, but eventually it works out like we kind of know what we're doing. Like, and you think of what they're trying to present to the world, like they have clearly gone, like we, we will not lose that many Heartland supporters in favour of the amount of new supporters that we will gain from this. Like that's the calculation that they have made. And obviously at some level there is, as we find out, I mean, VAR's a good example because you've found out with VAR that lots and lots of people are like, I just don't want to even watch this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, to a point where they returned a survey this week where I think nine, 96% of fans said that they didn't like it, yeah. which is obviously going to make a difference into the calculation of whether it stays or not. But yeah. I don't think 96% of fans are going to say that about the six again rule. I think most fans will be like, well, that's just what it is now. And it, it doesn't really overly impact my enjoyment of games. Whereas a lot of other people who say are used to watching rugby union, which is a mass, you know, fall off in market, which you could easily see people, you know, rugby league trying to fill that void of what people used to watch rugby union might look at that and go, well, actually, this is a lot more, you know, ball in play time, a lot more whatever, and say, well, <laughs> this is the sort of thing that where well, we might pick up a few hundred thousand viewers who yeah. we don't currently or new so, fans. So the the thing I think they've they've made a miscalculation with these rule changes is that. You can you can't bring in the massive rule changes that they did. And look, every single one of them has happened mid-season. The six again rule happened when we come back from COVID, and then this head high tackle rule that's come in just a few weeks ago. The 18th man, which is a pretty fundamental change. I mean, adding an extra player to your squad that come in mid-season. But I, I think the problem that they've got right now is that they had a game that was that had a a really good dynamic between attack and defense. And I, I personally think it was really good to watch. You know, I, I think it's the best balance we've had in rugby league for a very, very long time, probably the early to mid nineties. Um, and they've put it completely out of whack where, and I know it's not the best, uh, marker for something like this, but you watch a game last night between the dragons and the Broncos and, you know, there's pretty much a point a minute being scored and it's just like, I know personally as a rugby league fan, I, I was watching that game thinking this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like neither team can defend. There's, you know, we've seen this blowout scoreline where 
One team is so clearly better than the other team, and yet they still have so many points scored against them. And to me, that's not what I like to see. Like, I like to see the a closer contest. And look, some of that's a function of we've got... Uh, we've had a handful of teams that have been really poorly run in recent years, and we've got a couple of outlier teams that have been extremely well run, and then you've got a pack in the middle of those teams. But I just feel as though the game is very, very unbalanced right now, and as a lifelong rugby league fan, I don't like what I'm seeing. And I I think that, and, and this goes back to the authenticity of the sport, and making sure that we keep that in rugby league. And that doesn't mean spear tackles and head high tackles or anything like that. But you don't want to see rugby league become a game where, or I personally don't think you want to see rugby league become a game where the scorelines are 60 points to 40 points is the end result. I, I don't think that, you know, I think you run the the risk of it being like rugby union sevens where Everyone scores and, you know, it's just generally a bit of a mess to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think a better analog is is you don't want it to become T20, right? Because T20, yes. like I can, tell, yes. I can tell you, like I went, I was in quarantine during the Big Bash, right? Mm-hmm. So I was watching the, test, the India, Australia uh, test match and the Big Bash every day. Yeah. Like every single, all day every day, actually. <laughs> during the test match, all I did was watch cricket all day. And... I could tell you everything that happened in the test match that I watched and absolutely nothing about the 14 big match matches again. Matches they, have no, they have no mental <laughs> shelf life at all. Yeah, no, no, nobody cares. Nobody knows what happens. Like, you could have asked me 10 minutes later what happened. They'd be like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm aware that my headphones are telling me that they're going to run out because oh. we spoke for so long. So um, we yeah. might have to call it a day. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, okay, so where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at McNeilholwood on Twitter. So that's M-I-K-E-M-W-E-H-A-L-L-W-O-O-D. Sounds a lot better on every day like that. I'm not Snoop Dogg. Um, <laughs> so many doubles. Um, and then you can, if you put hashtag NRL Outsider, you'll get all my work. You can find me if you just put Mike Holwood Forbes. You'll find it all. Um yeah, I'm hoping to bring some new non-Origin content during Origin. Um, it's interesting because I've got so many ideas written down in a little book in front of me, mm-hmm. and then something happens and I just end up writing something completely different. So um, it's good when you force yourself to write content about the NRL every week and try and be interesting. It's really fucking hard, but um, it's fun. It's fun. And I'll be covering Origin. Actually, yeah. we'll be covering Origin for hopefully for... Sport Bible, Lad Bible, their audience are very mainstream, but um, hopefully it'll be good, interesting content that everybody can enjoy. So I'm sure I'll be tweeting about that when it happens. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I like to think there's more content where that came, where that comes from, and people seem to like what I write. So I'll keep trying to do more of it. <laughs> well, what we might do is get you on like one of the days after, say, Origin Two, and not mention Origin at all. That would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, 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 that's good. We'll talk about like the Pacifica. Pacific tests that don't happen, why they should happen, I don't know. Yeah, let's get let's do let's go deep into some real geeky rugby league shit that no one else cares about. I've, I've, got, like, written in, I've got written in my notebook third party agreements. There you go. 
Oh, yes. See, I like that sort of talk. So you've got me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, thank you for coming on. It's been a really interesting discussion. It's been one of the longest uh, interview podcasts we've ever done on the podcast. So um, thanks for taking up your time, having a chat with me. And uh, yeah, all of the, the details will be in the description of this episode that you're listening to. And obviously we put them all on Twitter. So thanks very much for coming on. No problem, mate. No problem.